I don't care who you play, whether it's a high school team, a junior college team, a college team, much less an NFL team. We're dialed in. You know, we're dialed in. We're ready to go. This is a significant battle um, early in the year. It means a lot, and uh, both teams will be ready to play. The Colts had a promising drive working, and they turn it over with an interception. Definitely made me think, and I mean, Bowen, every time I freaking read or listen to Bowen, it's like a constant freaking barrage of, of, of uh, wideouts. <laughs> James Robinson with a 37-yard touchdown run. Loud and proud. Ryan stays in the game. He's going to air it out, and that pass is intercepted. We couldn't do diddly poo offensively. And the Colts have fired three interceptions today, and they've turned over on downs twice, and the misery continues. Uh, a very poor showing in every way. Coaching did a horrible job. The players did a horrible job. We got our ass kicked. Oh, Kevin, welcome back. Really easing back into this, right? <laughs> you know, a nice, calm start to the season here. The phone lines are already lighting up, Jake. <laughs> 701 on this Monday morning. Yeah, I'm happy to be back, and I do say that in all seriousness. I, I love what I do, um, but certainly watching that yesterday, I thought to myself, you know, Maddie, I sat there on the couch and I said, Maddie. When Max's first football game was Notre Dame-Marshall, I thought, is there any way we could put him back in the womb just for a little bit <laughs> okay. longer? Okay. Just, you know, <laughs> okay. And then, you know, watching that one yesterday, I thought, you know what? I love you a lot, honey, but, I mean, this is what we're exposing him to so far in his young football life. And uh, it felt like I was changing diapers for three hours, even though I wasn't watching that SH, and I'll let you finish Mm-hmm. Uh, that type of performance. Yesterday. You had seen your fair share of that already. I had, uh, certainly had. Um, just you sit here right now, Jake, and you go back to the last two games of last season, and in my 32 years of watching the Colts, it's arguably the most embarrassing four-game stretch of football I've ever seen. I think yesterday might have been, and I want to be very clear about this, uh, and good morning to you, by the way, that is the newly fathered of a son kevin bowen congratulations kevin your son max or maxwell just max yeah we're going max maxwell on the birth certificate but yeah max maxwell bradley bowen little max um so he was born was it friday yeah friday early friday at 3 16 in the morning it was a wild thursday night we can we can get into that a little bit later but yeah my mom asked for uh, a photo, which I forwarded the photo that you sent. Oh, nice! Uh, and she well, said she has my number. Did she not want to just text me directly? <laughs> she, you know, she wants to respect boundaries. Uh, her direct quote: uh, "He is adorable and a chubby fellow." Mm. Well, I think my wife would take that as a compliment. Uh, yeah, birth weight seven pounds and nine ounces. That's yeah, about pretty good, good. And healthy average, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Angles, angles of photos, yeah, right? sure, right. For right. angles and yeah. lighting, yeah. Uh, so that has a double chin, depending on the angle that, that you go with there. So, and you, you know, you did what the Colts did, which was you just flat out checked out for the week, right? Yeah, I, um, I did that. Um, and honestly, it started Sunday. It started in in week one. That performance, I think, that's what really stands out to me right now, Jake, is what you've had to play for. Whether it was when the Raiders were coming to your building. 
with two games to go last season, a playoff berth on the line, you're a touchdown favorite in that game. The trip to Jacksonville to end last year, a two-touchdown favorite in that game. And then you, you simmer on that for eight, nine months. Simmer on it. And the performance you had in Houston for three quarters, and then yesterday. Yesterday is a fireable type of offense. It is, frankly. When Matt Taylor just used the word fired there in that open, I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, is he um, letting us know something that could be on the horizon? I don't think it'll happen, but if that sort of email came across my inbox, I would sit here and just kind of shrug my shoulders and say, well, these performances would lead to something like that. Kevin, it is important, I think, to always stop and 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 think about after a game. And I do get a little bit amused by, and I totally understand it, and I don't mean this condescendingly, but like fan reactions. I mean, during the course of the game, I'm looking at social media, and I mean, it, you know, people are just in the first half going bonkers. And I'm thinking, if they come back and win this in the second half, then it's going to be nothing but like, here we go, greatest team ever, you know what I mean? And like, and listen, 17 weeks is a long time. And if you think back to last year, there were times like when Hard Knocks was in here coming off the New England game. I remember thinking, you know, a lot of people thinking like, this might be the best team in the league. At one point last year, there were people that are, you know, this is the most dangerous team in the AFC. Nobody wants to face Indianapolis. So a lot of things can happen over the totality of a season. So the first two weeks are not necessarily a guaranteed to be representative of what the Colts in 2022 are going to be. However, if you were a season ticket holder or are a season ticket holder, if you're a fan of the Colts, if you just enjoy football in general, that was a totally inexcusably embarrassing, flat, ill-prepared, running into one another, Keystone Cops, disappointing, letdown performance that was absolutely an insult to anybody who spends their money to watch that crap product of a bunch of people that don't appear in any way, shape, or form yesterday to have cared what the hell they were supposed to be doing. And the issue, Jake, is that exact phrase that you just uttered could have been said following week 18 in Jacksonville last year. That exact phrase could have been said for three quarters of the season opener in Houston. That is the worry. This is not a one-off. This is a trend now of you're going back to the two games to end last season and now the two games to start this season. And from an owner on down, it starts at the top. This is an owner on down. Jim Mersey has treated Chris Bowden and Frank Reich that they are the greatest pairing of a GM and head coach that the NFL has ever seen. He gave them contract extensions that were not warranted whatsoever to start last season. And from the owner extending this leash and acting like they have these decorated resumes that deserve statues next to Peyton Manning outside of Lucas Oil Stadium, he's created this perception that everything is fine and well within his organization. And yet these performances to end last season with everything on the line to go to the postseason and now to start this year with two of your on paper easier games you'll have all season long to have those types of performances is a disgrace. And if I'm a cold season ticket holder and I look at the rest of this season and think to myself, wait, I can sell my tickets to the Chiefs game and make back what type of money? I would have no issue. And I 
am all about fandom and all about creating awesome environments, but I would have no issue with any fan that sits there right now and thinks about Sunday afternoon of the home opener and thinks, why the hell do I want to go to that? Why the hell should I waste my time going to that when this is what I've had to witness now for four games? This is not a one-off. This is four straight games that we've seen this type of effort. You know, I agree with all of that. Here's the the thing to me, and I I sent a tweet, that, and I, th- I thought that people would have understood what I was saying, so I apologize if I wasn't overly clear in this. This, to me, is what was the most damning for the Colts franchise yesterday. Aside from going out and get and listen, it's entirely possible that Jacksonville is greatly improved. They got a great defense. I don't know about great, but they have a very active defensive line. They gave Trevor Lawrence time to work, and you saw, I've said all along. God, how pathetic was that pass rush? To, it was non-existent, right? But Trevor Lawrence, when you give him time, Kevin, is a pretty darn good quarterback, right? I mean, I realize they, that you should rush him, and it's against only against the Colts when he gets that kind of time for whatever reason. And, and, that, and that phrase, right there, Jake, like, does Trevor Lawrence have talent? Yes. But, Jake, you have watched him probably more than I think a lot of people have in the NFL. You right. College-wise, you obviously watch him a ton. Jake, he's been a very average NFL quarterback, and, th- and that might be a compliment. Like it just right. has, but against this team, Matt Eberflus defense to end last season, Gus Bradley defense yesterday, you have given Trevor Lawrence hope right out of the gate. That opening drive yesterday, he completes that first third and long, and I literally said out loud, oh my, here we go again. Perfect opening drive, and now Trevor Lawrence sits there and gets back in the locker room and thinks, when is that second Colts game? Because I'd love to see them next week. Well, no doubt about that. Um, So, But all of that to be said, a year ago when the Colts lost to Jacksonville, starting at the top, we were told what the issue was. We were told that the predominant issue was the leadership or lack thereof of Carson Wentz. And we were told that the other things, they knew what was wrong and we didn't. By we, I mean fans, media, whatever else. And they they were going to be able to make the right changes because they were going to be all chips in. Okay. So you go now to Jacksonville. We get another video outside an airplane wearing, I think, the same sport coat. We get the video at dinner where Jim Mersey mispronounces the name of their first-round draft pick or their, their first draft pick. That was awkward. Um, well, I guess they're all kind of awkward. And then they go out and listen. I don't know Chris Ballard. I, I know him from having him on this radio show. I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he's arrogant. And I think when he comes on here, for example, he acted like the smartest guy in the room. And that's fine because he's the general manager of a football team. So it's our job to let him talk and tell fans why his plan is going to work. And it still may. That's the thing. It still may. But when you come on here and you act like a smug jerk, then you better expect that all of a sudden when everything that you condescendingly giggled at people about for bringing into question is non-existent, you're going to be called to the carpet on it. And everybody in this town, and I don't mean the two of us and John and, and you know, Greg Doyle, everybody in this town from the guy ringing you out at Kroger to the guy working you, you know, pulling you through at Crew Car Wash to the gal at your gym, every single person's like, are they going to get wide receivers? 
And yes, they had two players injured yesterday. You know what they ended up with? Eight catches for 126 yards. Every single person from the entire receiving core. Eight catches for 126 yards for wideouts. So yeah, is there a constant barrage of wideouts? Yes. And everybody in this town knew that left tackle was a question mark. Oh, we got it under control. We we know what we're talking about. Turnstile. Absolute turnstile. And Kevin, everybody in this town knew eventually, yeah, it sucks that Andrew Luck retired unexpectedly. That was like 20 years ago. And everybody knew eventually, every team that you're looking at right now in the NFL that has good quarterback play went out and got it, got after it and got themselves a quarterback. The Colts went out and thought they were going to get Phillip Rivers, and they might have ended up with Kerry Collins. Who knows? you got to give the guy time before we can evaluate what, what Matt Ryan can do. But are we just going to replace it every two years? Eventually, your mechanic says to you, like, look, you got 135,000 miles on the car. you got to get a new car. And so everything that we were told was the problem that was going to be solved were all of the things that popped up yesterday in second verse, same as the first. Don't don't call me a fool, right? Don't sit here and, and, and say the same thing to me twice in two different languages and then tell me that I have language comprehension problems if you're giving me the same message that's flat-out BS, right? Yeah, I think there's um... – a ton of validity in what you just said. Um, you know, a stubbornness with roster building. Um, I think an unwillingness to sit there and ask the question of how do you win in the NFL in 2022? It's a question I asked him back in January at the season ending press conference. I, I don't think he's challenged himself enough with that question, Jake. Um, I mean, let's be frank. You know, one week old Max Bowen could look at the wide receiver depth chart and realize that issues are there. Like it, it, that is the easiest thing to have spotted in the current regime of of the Colts. That was beyond obvious. When I saw Michael Pittman was out, I'm like, okay, well, here you go. This will once again prove why I believe Michael Pittman's the most indispensable player on the team. Um, you had one catch from your wideout group in the first 28 minutes of the game yesterday, Jake. Desmond Patman, a massive third down drop. Mike Strawn with a false start penalty or legal formation, I don't even know what it was, uh, got you behind the chains, led to a punt. Uh, Paris Campbell's first contribution in the box score, Jake, a fourth-quarter offensive pass interference penalty. But, and it, Here's what was astounding to me. It was a pass interference where he was not the target, right? Yeah, like one of those you know, pick plays, <laughs> rub, rub routes. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Pass interference. Indianapolis, and I'm like, wait a minute, it, he what? It wasn't even going to him. Yeah, he's not pushing off to make a play on the ball for himself. Um, and you bring up left tackle, and we can get into this, you know, uh, more. Left tackle to me has been mismanaged more than probably any other position on this roster. From the moment Anthony Costanzo injured his hamstring to start that 2018 season, and missed five games, and you saw the issues you had there. That had to have sent a giant red flag throughout that organization of, guys, Costanzo's durability, you know, it, it, maybe it's waning a little bit. He's getting older. We know this guy has a lot of off-the-field interest. What about retirement? He starts flirting with that next offseason. He signs a two-year contract. They continue to not draft a tackle, not draft a tackle, not draft a tackle. And now here you are believing that Matt Pryor, a day three pick at a position that was not left tackle, could handle that with the statue at quarterback and you get what you asked for 
at that spot. So again, from Jim Ursay to Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, there's a level of me, Jake, that I sit here and think NFL players should just have enough self-motivation week in and week out to go out and do their jobs. And Kenny Moore right now for a guy that chirped in the offseason and wanted a new contract. That's the effort that we've seen now through the first couple games of the season. But I look at Frank Reich's football team and think again, playing for a playoff berth in the final two games last year, an eight-year week one drought last week, a seven-year drought in Jacksonville, and those are the efforts of Frank Reich's football team. He cancels practice last Friday. (laughs) Jake, you've been around the NFL. The best week of practice they've had, Kevin. You've been around the NFL a lot longer than I have. I have never seen a team plan, go into a week, and cancel a Friday practice in week two of the NFL season. We're not talking week 14 and your injury report has 17 guys on it or a short week or hell. I mean, I don't know, maybe during one of those COVID games, they had a Friday practice canceled. I've never seen it. And I think way too much Frank Reich falls into his offensive play calling bubble and forgets that he's the head coach of the football team. He's the CEO. He's supposed to oversee all of it and does not have enough accountability for what's going on defensively to let that performance happen to Trevor Lawrence like it did yesterday, and just in general, to have his team, whether it's a stale message from him that's playing into it, but have his team utter such listless performances like we've seen now for four straight games. Did you find it peculiar that we really didn't hear from Jim Mercer after the game other than a video of him handing out signed footballs? Yeah, I, I thought there was a chance we would hear from him. Um. But, yeah, it looked like, what, just a golf cart ride and then talking to some fans that were at the yeah. game? I know a lot of people have asked me, Jake, in the last, you know, 12, 16 hours, do you think Frank Reich and or Chris Boward will be fired? Um, I don't. I, I don't I, either. I, I'd probably put it around 20%. Um, this is obviously a topic we can get into a little bit more later. You know, week two firing, it sends a message, but, like, what, you know – does all of a sudden Bubba Ventrone as your interim head coach mean that everything's going to get turned around? Does John Fox taking over for Frank Reich mean that you right. know things are going to turn around? Like, it's it's a little early to throw in the towel, yes. And if you want to drink glass, glass half full, I mean, Jake, the AFC South's a joke. Tennessee will lose to Buffalo tonight, and you'll be two weeks into the season. Right. And one win for the whole freaking division. <laughs> one win against the against, against the, the division. Yeah. I mean, literally, it's just God it's bless incredible. the AFC South. God, I have said it so many times. God bless the AFC South. A lot to talk about, a lot to break down over the course of the morning. Uh, obviously, sticking with almost entirely the Colts team. Jeff Saturday is going to join us. Do we know Mark what time? Around nine thirty. <laughs> I took a big you, bite of a granola bar. And you asked you me a question. Bite there. What's Twenty going minutes. On? Nothing. Listen, the <laughs> second I take a bite of a granola bar, hey, got any thoughts? <laughs> Unlike the Colts, Mark decided to take a bite out of something this morning, right? <laughs> now you guys both kind of rolled your eyes at me when I said, you know, I debated or asking Maddie if we could put Max back in the womb. <laughs> Was that too harsh? That's an image I don't really want at 719 in the That would be unprecedented, wouldn't it? It, it, Well, well, I would argue this stretch of four games from the Colts have been a bit. That's fair. A hell of a hospital bill. I'm sorry, Mark. What what did you say on Jeff Saturday? 930 is what we're expecting. Okay, so Jeff Saturday around 930 this morning, and I assume we'll have 
uh, phone calls as well. And then I, I think in about 15 minutes or so, both of us can give more of a calm down breakdown analysis of just kind of what happened or what led to it. I don't it. know how you can be calm, Jake. And I get it. Um, and, you know, I think, Kevin, you'll probably take a harder look at what took place between the lines, and, and I'll probably do some sort of weird Freudian thing as to how psychologically we got to this point. But it was – listen, I've seen a lot of disappointments when it comes to pro football in this town over the last 25 years. That might be – that is as big as any. I've seen, you know, between – there are different levels and different variations of disappointment – you know, the ball bouncing off Aaron Bailey's chest into Three Rivers Stadium's yeah. turf. The, 62 to nothing to the Saints yeah, on Monday Night Vander Football. Vanderjat wide right, you know, uh, Curtis Painter on Monday Night Football. I mean, there's been a lot of things, but um, that was one of the most embarrassing and, quite frankly, one of the biggest insults. That's the biggest I would say is that was an insult. And to add to it, it's not a one-off. It's not a one-off. You go back, and I, I was thinking about this on the drive-in, and this is just off the top of my head. You had the Raiders in your building two weeks ago in the season last year. You were a seven-point favorite. Lost by three. You were a 14-point favorite in the season finale last year in Jacksonville. I think you backdoored that one to lose by 15. Week one, what did it end up being? Seven-point favorite in Houston. You tied, so that's zero. Yesterday, three-point favorite. Lost by 24. So if you take the differences... Trying to do this math off the top of my head. I should. How is math going? By the way, I meant to text you. Algebra. Uh, midterm. Um, oh, yeah, I got a midterm today, so or actually tomorrow. 10, 29, 7, and twenty-seven. You add that up, Jake. Seventy-three. Yeah, come on. I actually think I might be right. Um, no. Well, sixty-three. I think. What'd you say? Ten, twenty-nine, seven, and twenty-seven. Um. 73, isn't that what I said? I thought it was 63. Well, 10 and 29 is 39, right? 7 is 46. Said, yeah, good call. 46 yeah. plus 27 is 73. Think about that. Four Mark games. Mark seems impressed. Very impressive. <laughs> yeah, that, that, there wasn't that much was to be impressed sharp. about this weekend. Oh, no. That was impressive. Boy, when I was looking at Max's raccoon eyes at 4 a.m. today, I, I was not thinking I'd be crunching those numbers uh, in three hours. 73 points. If you go off what Vegas thought in these four games, playoff berth on the line in the last two games of last season, the drought of week one, the drought in Jacksonville, you have been outscored by 73 points in four straight games. Not good. Morning check down coming up. More on our thoughts on the Colts and Jaguars. In my and we opinion, will take, that sucked. <laughs> we will take your phone calls uh, later as well and let you sound off on the Colts. On a Monday where it is rainy, it's a Monday morning. I get it, but be thankful you don't have to watch the Colts play in Jacksonville later today. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Absolutely pathetic yesterday in Jacksonville for the Colts. That's probably a phrase I've used quite often over the last seven years. But I think uh, the cherry on top yesterday, 24-0 shutout. Uh, first time in three years. Ironically, the last time they were shut out was also in Jacksonville. 
Uh, any questioning of the motivation for Frank Reich's football team? Here was Reich afterwards. I actually don't feel unmotivated. I, I certainly respect the fact that's what it seems like. If you would, if you would feel what it feels like during the week, um, unmotivated is not what a word that you would characterize what our weeks are like, what this last week was like. So does that mean they just suck? Well, he said we played it last week. He's like, we're dialed in. I could walk in the room and walk right out. They know what's going on and this and that. And, it's like, and that's the performance right. for being dialed in? Mm-hmm. Dialed in, yep. You Imagine if they'd have been tired from practice on Friday. And, and, th- and think about the opponents you've had. I mean, you have played the laughing stock of the NFL, and you have been utterly embarrassed against wouldn't, the teams that everyone else classifies as the embarrassing teams. Wouldn't it be typical Colts and typical NFL for them to then turn around and beat Kansas City? Very typical NFL. I, I just, I, I mean, ten days off for the Chiefs. I, I saw they're a six-point favorite. How many people are jumping on that right now? You know what I jumped on last week before the Thursday night game between the Chiefs and Chargers? The Colts were, or the Chiefs are only three-and-a-half-point favorites against the Colts. Yeah, it, it, I jumped yeah. on that instantly. It, it obviously rose after yesterday's pitiful performance in Jacksonville. Unbelievable. Uh, elsewhere, by the way, in the NFL, uh, Dr. Mottman last night texted me, Lions look like a Super Bowl team today. Okay, there we go. Mottman had a few last night, it sounds like. <laughs> well, they beat Washington. Hey, Jared Goff, that's a, hey, had a big one. Got to see Carson Wentz just slinging it up in the air for anybody. To Carson catch. Wentz for 337 and three touchdowns. Carson Wentz yesterday threw for three times the amount of yardage that the Colts wide receiver core totaled against Jacksonville. There right? was some wild games yesterday. And Dolphins. New England over Pittsburgh, 17-14. The Dolphins, yeah. Dolphins over the Ravens, a huge one from Tua. A lot of people obviously questioning, does he have that in him? Six touchdowns for him. The Cardinals came back to beat the Raiders in overtime on a fumble return. You don't often see the Giants and the Jets both win on the same day. How about J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 man? They were down, what, 37-team with a minute and 45 right. to go? right. I think I saw a stat, and it was like the Jets, the Jaguars, and the Lions all won yesterday. It was the first time since, like, 2015 that all three of them oh, had gosh, won I'm, at the I'm same day. I'm not further back. Yeah. Now, why are we doing two Monday night games tonight? I can't figure that out either. That? We were talking about that last week. Warren, 7.15 like, and 8.30, are those the start times? Yep. And is Steve Levy doing one of them? He usually does like the late one, but it's usually, it used to be, it was always like the Raiders and Chargers. So are they like, all right, Levy, Greasy, Riddick, we need you guys back in the booth (laughs) for this one here. Uh, Titans and Bills tonight, Eagles and Vikings to round out week two. By the way, AP College football top 25, uh, top five remains unchanged. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and Clemson, followed by Texas A&M, Oklahoma, uh, this can't be right. No, that's from September 6th. What the hell? Why did it print that? Gosh, okay, well, never say. mind. Well, was Notre Dame ranked high? Yeah, because yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. Notre Dame 8th? That's not Here right. Here we go. Well, big win over Cal. Can, can, why Why did it print for me the AP Top 25? from? Well, in case you're wondering, on September 6th, Pittsburgh was 14. Uh, nice win for the – well, I, I, I – Nice win for the Hoosiers. I, I shouldn't throw in any caveats. Tom Allen lost his shoe running around that. hugging people. Uh, now, would I use kicker be the Colts kicker? Hey, man, that was a hell Charlie of a Charlie Campbell, that was a boom that from him. That was a hell of a 51 kick. yards. IU comes back to beat Western Kentucky. I feel like IU season 
has involved these wild late game wins over Illinois start the year, Western Kentucky, whereas Purdue's been the reverse. Correct. Purdue's just been these just awful end game meltdowns, penalty after penalty after penalty. I mean, they obviously came back against Syracuse in that fourth quarter, but then just an abomination of a final minute there. Boilers lose in the Carrier Dome. It's no longer called the Carrier Dome. <laughs> you know, we did determine that's named after the air conditioning folk, the Carrier Dome. But didn't they change? Didn't they change the name? What is it now? Just the Syracuse Dome? I, the, that's the dumbest thing ever. When they change, if you change the naming rights after it's been, does anybody really call it the? Did you go to Chicago to the Willits Tower? No, it's the Sears Tower. Right. What are we doing, Mark? <laughs> this new email system just plays random sounds. What, what are we doing? What are we doing over there? Are you logging in something? I mean, you, you have mail. Yeah, basically, yeah. No, okay. I, uh, well, yeah. that mail is to tell you playing. that. I don't know. <laughs> Yesterday, I'm the Reds disabled. over the Cardinals, three nothing in Major League Baseball. I'm looking for other scores of significance. Dodgers over the Giants, four love. The Toledo Mudhens in the International League over the Indians, seven. Aaron four. Judge, fifty nine homers for those looking to take in an Indianapolis sporting event this week and don't want to go to Colts and Chiefs. Uh, final home stand for the Indians, St. Paul this week. Uh, for the Indians over there at Victory Field. All right, when we come back, uh, a deeper dive into yesterday. What took place and what got us here? We might incorporate your thoughts as well. Colts, colossal disappointment in Jacksonville. And it's the Monday hangover from it. Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, The Fan. You're listening to Kevin and Quarry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. So in breaking down the analysis of what you witnessed yesterday and your thoughts on it, Kevin Bowen, the floor is yours. Yeah, my, my blood is still boiling, Jake. Uh, you know, I've watched the Colts up close for 32 years now, and to see the type of effort that they have displayed against some horrific competition over the last now four games, but mainly three in the AFC South, it's just an utter disgrace. And, and, you know, I said this in the opening segment. It starts at the top. I think Jim Irsay has given Chris Boward and Frank Reich a leash that is very unwarranted. Um, a contract extension last August, which was laughable in my mind. I'll never forget being at training camp, seeing that contract extension come across my email and thinking, why? What have they done? No division titles. One playoff win. And yet you've given them a financial commitment that is right up there with insert your Chiefs, Rams, Bills, whatever regime you want to throw out there in the NFL. I don't feel there's any public accountability from the owner towards those two men. I think he views the hiring of Reich and Bill Polian and Peyton Manning, Tony Dungy sign off and thinking this is a dream. This is Chris Bauer. It's the greatest GM hire of the 21st century, uh, a phrase that Jim Irsay uttered when Ballard was hired as well. And I said this at the start of the season, the seats needed to be warm for those two individuals entering the year. That was an absolute must for me. And don't feel like for one second, Ursay felt the same way that I did about those two. Um, when you decide to go sh- short-term stopgap, they've gone Band-Aid at quarterback. When you do that, expectations should be higher. Because what you're doing is you're pushing off that major quarterback investment, those growing pains that you naturally have with a young quarterback. You're pushing that down the road. So when you go short-term, expectations rise even more. And for these performances to really be the norm, 
is just an absolute joke to me. Um, so it starts with the owner, and then you go to Chris Ballard, and again, just a massive stubbornness and roster building. Um, you know, he comes from the Bears regime, uh, not to take a shot at Mark's Bears, but it, it just seems like he's stuck in Chicago's ways of how they built things um, and has not opened his eyes to what 2022 NFL is and the positions that truly, truly matter. Look at the wide receiver position. Look at yesterday. The star of yesterday in the NFL was Tua. What did Miami say in the offseason? We've got a quarterback that's a little bit fragile, a little bit we don't know what we got, and we, we need to support him. They go out, they make a drastic move for Tyreek Hill. They say, all right, we got to do something here. Very aggressive. They went out, they got an offensive-minded head coach. All of those things to try and support Tua. Look at Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. I didn't see one person complaining with how much money Christian Kirk signed for in the offseason yesterday. Evan Ingram, a tight end as well. I mean, tight end is right up there with wideout and how big of a joke it's been in the Colts supporting their quarterback. The left tackle position has been wildly mismanaged for a handful of years now. And again, wide receiver and tight end, the pass-catching positions that matter. Um, an absolute joke in how they've tried to address that. Uh, at the start of the year, I brought up the analogy of an Alec Pierce and Paris Campbell. It's blackjack, and you're hitting on sixteen. And you busted in week one with Alec Pierce, and you certainly busted yesterday with Paris Campbell and the effort that he gave you. Um, and, and none of it was shocking. We, we all knew that would happen. If Michael Pittman is going to miss time, that is the exact effort I saw. It was the questions that I had back in February. It was questions I had through free agency. I saw Amari Cooper traded for a day three pick. He had a nice day yesterday. Allen Robinson scored a touchdown yesterday. Free agent signing as well. It, it just... We'll see Robert Woods tonight with the Titans. Sure. And the the thing I think with Ballard, too, that you have to note is his greatest belief trenches O-line, D-line, that's failing. So what he believes in the most, all the capital, all the draft picks, all the free agency money that you've invested into the trenches, that is failing. It's one thing to be stubborn in those positions we've talked about, wide receiver and tight end mainly, but for him to have all this investment in the trenches – and to that group failing you, I think just adds to it. And then lastly, again, I, if Frank Reich, I, I, for his football team to come out and have the performances that they've had now for four straight games um, is beyond pathetic and embarrassing. Um, I tweeted out the stat yesterday. If you look at the last three, Jacksonville, Houston, Jacksonville, with everything you've had to play for in those three games, the Colts have entered the fourth quarters of those three games down 70 to 6. 70 to 6 with a playoff berth on the line, with the week one drought you had last week, and then obviously the drought that you had in Jacksonville. Um, I've worried about the CEO aspect of Frank Reich's job for quite some time. I think that's so important for a head coach in the NFL. I think it's lacking here in Indianapolis. And, again, as I said all offseason, the hot seat has got to be on. And if the even if the owner doesn't want to admit that, um, and after these two pathetic performances that date back to last season, it needs to be scorching hot moving forward. The – National Football League is interesting to me because it's very cyclical and 
trends happened throughout the course of 17 weeks now, 16 weeks previously. There were times last year where the Colts were seen as the most dangerous or healthiest or best team in the league. And then the last three weeks of the season came and they completely wet themselves. And it was like, what happened to the team that beat New England? There are ebb and flows and ups and downs, and it's very dangerous to get overly invested or emotional based on one or two games and and assuming that that means that those are trends. However, there seems to be body of work here that implicates or shows that this is not a pattern but reality. The Colts yesterday went down to Jacksonville, a place that was different because not only is it one of the worst teams in the league the last three years in the Jaguars, but the site of their biggest, biggest injustice towards their fans of the last few years in the way the season ended last year and the place where we were then promised that things would be different. And that begins with scapegoating in any way that they could, Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz wasn't there yesterday, and the effort was the same, the result was the same, and the egg on the face is the same, if not bigger. I think it's important to be sensible about the fact that two games does not mean the season is over. However, this is what Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard and Frank Reich need to understand. We'll begin with Jim Irsay. I think Jim Irsay is a fun-loving, kind-hearted, good person who is a an owner that wants to win. However, when your eccentricities and your off-field excess start to supersede your on-field success, then you're going to have to understand that you're going to be called to the carpet on things or questioned. And when you pl- and I know that I, that I'm beating a dead horse here, but the reality is when you are playing in a stadium that is as subsidized in this community as this one is, and when you are an accessible owner, which is a great thing the majority of time, what you are doing, though, is allowing your fan base to feel that they have a financial investment and that they have part ownership, so to speak, from an emotional standpoint of the franchise you're running. So when blank hits the fan, people take it personally. And in this town, people take it personally because they pay a lot of money to go see your football team and they pay a lot of money for the palace that has made you a billionaire. And yes, they like to be able to go down and see Muhammad Ali's shorts while you're playing the guitar with John Mellencamp on a stage for free. And that's cool. But with that comes a fan accessibility and expectation that the thing that truly is the core of your business, your football team, better go down and act like they are professionals and they want to win. And people want to know that their football team, their franchise, their owner, their general manager, and their coach want to win as much as they, the fans, do. And when they go down there and, quite frankly, absolutely apathetically go through the motions and get their ass kicked by a franchise that's been a laughing stock in the National Football League, people are going to be PO'd about it because they feel like they've been slighted for their financial and emotional investment. And that's how people in this town feel right now. And I think a lot of them look at Chris Ballard as a scapegoat, rightly or wrongly, because Chris Ballard can sit there and have his cute smirks and his maniacal laughter 
and his loaded questions to downplay or to very smugly deflect the questions that were made about the roster that he was building except for that he can sit there and say look I'm the smartest guy in the room because I'm the general manager of the football team in this town and so you the fans or you the media can question me all you want it ain't that easy and that's probably true except for that everybody that is supposedly not as smart as he pointed out three glaring things from last season that were never addressed and whenever he was asked about it he defiantly said that he had it under control and those three things absolutely 110 percent blew up on them yesterday their wide receiving core was an absolute joke they accounted for eight catches for 126 yards the receiving core of the indianapolis colts yesterday yes i know that two of their guys were out one of them which is a really good player the other of which has promised but jim ursay couldn't get his name right in a video on saturday night from a restaurant a little bit embarrassing know the names of the guys you drafted but i digress when it comes down to it they had a receiving core, the wideouts that a barrage of wideouts that Kevin Bowen talks about, that Chris Ballard hears about all the time, had fewer yards yesterday in totality than Tyreek Hill had for the Miami Dolphins, right? And he was one and there were two Dolphins yesterday that had more receiving yards than the Colts did. Bottom line is this. The bottom line is there's going to be a ton of negative reaction there's going to be a ton of outrage there's going to be a ton of negative things said about the Colts this morning and there are going to be a lot of really really upset mad and PO'd people and that might be an overreaction from people except for the fact that in the case of the owner and the general manager they are circumstances and criticism that they put themselves in the direct line of fire for because of their own actions or inactions in various capacities and that's where we stand they're 0-1-1, and, and it feels like they are 0-14. You're making notes over there like this is a legal hearing. No, I, I – can you think of a more embarrassing four-game stretch for the no. franchise? I mean, Kevin, I, admittedly uh, – and, and, and first – To their credit, to their credit, that disappointment is a bar that they set for themselves because to, to answer your question honestly – I mean, I was here in sure, the sure, but in the eighty, you know, Kroger free poster night where people are making nine foot paper airplanes of Johnny Cook's posters to land on the field. I mean, I, you know, so and, and the quarterback of that football team would have been, I mean, Mike Pegelart, Schleister, it, Mark Herman, Don Mikowski, Craig, you know, Craig Erickson, Steve Walsh. And I bring that up because those are not guys you see in Canton. Matt Ryan will probably be in Canton one day. Philip Rivers could be in Canton one day. When you make the short-term Band-Aid quarterback move, you're sending an entire message to everybody in your franchise that expectations should be high. And when you play in such a pitiful division, the expectations should be there to compete at the highest level within the AFC South. So when you factor in the expectations, the frankly terrible opponents that you've played during this stretch – what has been at stake for you to have such embarrassing performances and get blown off the field in this 16 quarter stretch you've had for the final four game or the past four games you've been blown off the field in probably what 12 of those quarters that is what adds to it to me of this is not a one-off this is not the 2011 Colts led by Kerry Collins and Dan Orlovsky and Curtis Painter feels like it but yet the embarrassment level has risen to that. Jim Mercer wants multiple Super Bowls. How about multiple scoring drives <laughs> in a game? Let's not get nuts here. I mean, hell, I guess one scoring drive, right? 
Did you think he brought those desserts to Alec Pierce? That video, video was so odd. He called him Alex, right? Right after the, his lady friend said Alex. Alex. She did say Alex. She's like, is that one for Alec Pierce? And he's like, Alex. <laughs> and Jake, I don't think we can excuse players either. You know, I brought up Kenny Moore the second earlier. He was on my list of most to prove this season because when you allow the contract stuff to become a story, you've got to back that up. A guy that I had huge expectations for and he's been library quiet two weeks into the season, Yannick Ngakwe. They should send every Colts defensive lineman down to Bloomington or West Lafayette and tell them to join a fraternity because that's the only rush they're going to get, right? That was good. You know, I haven't heard that for a week. That was good. That was good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, that, to me, might be the most disappointing aspect of it all. Because if you listen to Chris Ballard, and again, what he believes in, you are healthy on your offensive line. You're healthy on your defensive line. And those two groups have wilted for you all the investment into the trenches. Wide out, again, anybody could have seen that. Anybody could have seen that. I was just stating something blatantly obvious at wide receiver. But for the O-line and D-line, for everything you've believed in with that group, everything you've thrown at those two positions, for Jonathan Taylor to go through a half of football yesterday, and let's look at the box score. Was it four rushing yards on five carries? Five carries for four yards for Jonathan Taylor. And your pass rush, to your point, Jake, to be that quiet is just inexcusable. Inexcusable. And I know Reich is receiving the vast majority of blame. I think the hashtag is already going around about fire Reich or this or that. It, it, it is top down. Owner and GM, the malpractice, you can sl- put slice the pie up and hand it to Ursay, Ballard, and Reich. I did see somebody that said that Jim Ursay needs to be loud for Stroud. <laughs> So this one, and I, I don't know. I like that. Does d- does this one cross the line? Let me find it here. Jared, right, sacrifice for Bryce. <laughs> well, I, is that um, too harsh? I, I don't, sacrifice the season, maybe. I don't know that we need to be bringing yeah, animals the into the equation. Sacrificial lamb aspect poor, of it all. Poor, poor Alex <laughs> now let me hear that again, Mark. Poor, poor Alex Pearson. Yeah, I think he does throw the X in there. He does. His name's Alec. Jake. This one for Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> how about how about Gilmore yesterday? For how good Gilmore was in week one, Evan Ingram just owned him yesterday. What, can we hear that one more time? That was tough sounding. This one for Mr. Gilmore and, <laughs> and poor, poor Alex Pearson. What were those desserts anyway, by the well, way? So it's like, I, I, what, what, I know it's like green blobs. Yeah. Like, I'm like, can we just get a chocolate chip cookie and call it a night? <laughs> that was the the video, by the way, that Jim Irsay posted Saturday evening for those that are unfamiliar. Oh, uh, do should, yourself a favor and check that one yeah. out. <laughs> should we take some calls, Jake? Let's do that. 317-239-1070. Jeff, Saturday, we're hoping in the 9 o'clock hour. 9.30. Gave me the thumbs up. There we go. Jeff, Saturday, going to join us. It looks like the overnight rain has stopped here. Um, it's supposed to be a pretty nice week, although temperature-wise, hot early and then fall-like to end the week here. Uh, Kevin Quay on a Monday.
I don't care who you play, whether it's a high school team, a junior college team, a college team, much less an NFL team. We're dialed in. You know, we're dialed in. We're ready to go. This is a significant battle. Um, early in the year it means a lot, and uh, both teams will be ready to play. The Colts had a promising drive working, and they turn it over with an interception. It definitely made me think, and I mean, Bowen, every time I freaking read or listen to Bowen, it's like a constant freaking barrage of, of, of uh, wideouts. <laughs> James Robinson with a 37-yard touchdown run. Loud and proud. Ryan stays in the game. He's going to air it out, and that pass is intercepted. We couldn't do diddly poo offensively. And the Colts have fired three interceptions today, and they've turned over on downs twice, and the misery continues. Uh, a very poor showing in every way. Coaching did a horrible job. The players did a horrible job. We got our ass kicked. Oh, Now, Mark, to piggyback off that, can we get one of the two dinner sound bites real quick with the music playing? <laughs> no, I don't think we could do that one, but I could I could play the dessert for you. That's what I mean. Can, you want to hear that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Which are we two going desserts with? Desserts are brought in the pregame meal in the NFL. They're so tasty, they are gone. In this case, there are a few left. This one's for Jonathan Taylor. This one's for DeForest Butler. This one, I believe, is for Matt Ryan. This one for Quentin Nelson. And Alec, we saved Alec Pierce. This one for Mr. Gilmore. And and poor, poor Alex Pierce. We have to save that for him. So, I shall save the bait to mark the occasion. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that's Alec Pierce. Right? Uh, I believe those yesterday. are Mr. Gilmore's. What's that? Happy Gilmore reference. Yesterday, a massive, massive, massive embarrassment for the Colts. And wanted to give people, uh, Kevin, their opportunity to kind of weigh in and chime in. Because I do feel like this franchise in this market, maybe it's the market size in terms of the intimacy of the team or the accessibility that Jim Irsay has. You know, those things are to a credit. But I think people feel like they are emotionally and financially invested and they feel betrayed by that yesterday as they should um and i think it's important to offer that voice with the home opener coming up on sunday uh colin messaged me this my wife gave me a card in august my birthday telling me she would get a seats to a colts game this season and pick a game i told her last night forget the colts game can we go to an iu basketball game instead i've had a couple of people say stuff like that like you know hey you know, I, I got this before we get to the phone lines. Let me read one from yesterday that I received. That like, I, if you want to sell your tickets to Sunday, I have no. And again, me telling you how to you know spend your money is probably something I shouldn't do. But I got no issue. How about this from an Indianapolis firefighter that sent me this? My family are lifetime cold season ticket holders. We have six tickets through various additions and subtractions. I've taken over four of them. I guess that means four of the tickets. I'm what you would qualify as a lifer and a Pollyanna. Colts football is a religion. I am skipping next week's game for my son's 13 and under fall baseball game. Until they decide to care, I won't either. I think a lot of people feel that way about the Colts. Paul, for example, has waited for over an hour to chime in. Paul, we appreciate your patience. Good morning to you. 
Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing fine, thanks. Thanks for calling, Paul. Um, I called you guys last week, told you guys, the way we got to beat Jacksonville is get up in Trevor Lawrence's grill and press these daggone receivers. Watching this defense play yesterday, I don't know what the heck Gus Bradley saw that he kept playing these receivers six to ten yards off the ball. I don't understand that because all you did was allow Trevor Lawrence to get this confidence and get into a rhythm. And why the hell is Isaiah Rogers not on this field? I have no clue. He is our best cover corner, and he's sitting on the daggone bench for Faison, for Kenny Moore, who wanted a new contract, who, who shows now that he's not worth the contract that he has. He just... I don't understand what's going on, and all I heard this offseason was how we were going to be aggressive, how we were going to get after the quarterback, how we were going to play press coverage. I didn't see any press coverage. I didn't see anybody getting after the quarterback. And all I heard also this offseason was, oh, my God, we got the right quarterback. He's so smart. And what I saw yesterday was a quarterback who played worse than Carson Wentz did on his worst game. He didn't check out of any daggone run plays in the first half when we had eight people in the box and he didn't go to the run when we had it wide open in the middle. He just forced passes. And I don't understand what I watched yesterday, but this is not the coach team that I signed up to love. Let's focus on the Gus Bradley part. And thank you, Paul, for that. Um, Jake, I had a member of a, uh, of a coaching staff with, with, with Gus Bradley. I was talking to him in the offseason. And I'm like, man, I, yeah, I was I was talking to this guy. I was like, hey, you know, I'm hearing all this press coverage, and and you know they're going to jam guys at the line and this and that. I was like, well, I, I'll believe that when I see it. He's like, Gus, do not expect a whole lot different in the exotic nature than what you guys previously had there with Matt Eberflus. Cover three is different than cover two, but at the end of the day, they're going to pretty much do that snap in and snap out. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, if that's the case, this defensive coordinator hire worries me a little bit more than I initially thought because I love the Ngakwe move. I love the Gilmore move, you know, bringing different personnel in here. And to Paul's point, Trevor Lawrence in the NFL has been a mediocre quarterback. With what you did on that opening drive yesterday, giving the free release, giving him the ability to settle into the game was just like week 18 last year down there. You gave Lawrence hope. You gave him confidence. And it was eight for eight in the opening drive last year to end the season for Trevor Lawrence. It was seven for seven yesterday. This is a guy that completed 52% of his passes in week one in Trevor Lawrence. 52%. Yesterday, he had five incompletions the entire game. Two of those were drops. And what you did on that opening drive by letting him dictate to you is you gave him confidence and there was a ball jake that he threw um do you remember the first and 20 jacksonville had they converted to christian kirk lawrence rolls out to his left throwing yes across across his body body right to christian kirk beautiful throw that, to me, is a byproduct of what you did in the opening drive. You gave him confidence. You gave him belief. You gave him hope. And that's exactly what you cannot do when you're playing against quarterbacks that don't have a ton of confidence in the NFL, let alone teams that are in the basement. Tony, you're up. What's going on? Good day. 
What's up? Uh, first of all, I want to say I've been a Colts fan since they were in Baltimore, but right now I feel like I should be walking around like the unknown comic. Um, how did Matt Ryan ever earn his starting position in the first place other than his paycheck? And don't they fight for the starting position throughout the whole season? And what has he done to keep it? You know, in terms of Ryan, Tony, and I appreciate the call. Kevin, I I thought this yesterday. As I was watching Matt Ryan, I'm like, you know what? I think the Colts thought that they were upgrading from a Phillip Rivers type player, a slightly more mobile Phillip Rivers in terms of leadership, on field, et cetera. And I'm like, is it possible they got Kerry Collins? Who all of a sudden you roll out there and you're like, whoa, father time is undefeated. But – to be fair to to Matt Ryan, who's he throwing to? Yeah, and, I, and who's protecting him? I I probably go a little bit there. I I I don't I can't group him with Kerry Collins yet. I I don't. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm being extreme. I'm just saying. Yeah, I I just think while Ryan has had some issues certainly in the first two weeks, and we probably should have acknowledged Father Time a little bit more than I and and we're, we're at fault of, uh, for this too, Jake. I just don't think we acknowledge Father Time as enough as we maybe should have in the off season. But I'll go to the support. You you just you didn't support him. Right. Where are the weapons? I mean, the receiving core. Come on, man. Steve, what's up? Hey, guys. Hey, um, just wanted to walk you through what a lot of us are feeling, the psyche of the, of the Colts fan here. You know, after the Raiders game, we were like, okay, hey, we got this one. We got Jacksonville next week. Then we all know about the shock and horror of that game and the embarrassment to the Houston game where we were all ticked off by what we saw for three quarters, to yesterday, I got to tell you, I wasn't surprised. So our expectations are greatly diminished. Um, I've been to both Super Bowls. I'm a longtime fan. And this week, I'm going to bring my son. But you know what? I'm giving the other two tickets to a Chiefs fan. It's sacrilegious. I've never done it before. But I want to make sure someone enjoys those tickets. (laughs) <laughs> well, like I said, wow. man, it would be totally par for the course in the NFL and for the Colts themselves to go out and either contend with or beat Kansas City. But, George, you don't think necessarily that's going to take place, right? Well, you know, no, I don't. But I'll tell you this, right? Like, what if it does? How much does that change things all of a sudden if we beat the Chiefs and we get back to 1-1-1 one, one, and one and tie for the division? But, but it, I don't think it's going to happen, but, like, that could be what happens. You never know. What, what I really want to talk about, fellas, is something maybe a little more more serious and realistic. I think I think this organization could be in shambles, and, and I say this in all seriousness. Like, do you think Ursay is stable at this point? Did, did that sound like a, a like like a sober owner in that video the other night? Is that affecting his decision making that he's had over the last couple of years? with Ballard and with Reich and like is this is this organization on the precipice of serious serious stability issues thank you to Steve thank you to George for those back-to-back calls obviously um that's quite the topic to get into with George there I, I do want to hit on that but I want to touch on Steve first the previous caller Jake that to me that's got to resonate over there on West 56th Street Steve's been to the Super Bowls the longtime season ticket holder and he's doing something he's never done before. That, I think, is what you're hearing from this fan base. And rightfully so, of the trend. Steve mentioned it started with that Raiders game last year. 
Now it's four games. Now you look at the schedule. Kansas City, Tennessee, at Denver on a short week. You're entering the toughest part, in my opinion, of the schedule here coming up. Uh, So I, I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned Steve. To George's point, I think Jim Irsay has treated Chris Bowden and Frank Reich from day one in a extremely long leash mindset that was never there for the previous regime and Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano. It's always confused me why he's looked at Ballard and Reich in this light. Because they get along? And the previous duo did not get along? Is that why? Because Bill Polian and Peyton Manning and Tony Dungy said those were the hires that needed to be made? I think a part of it is this. I think it goes very deep-rooted, Kevin. Jim Irsay, who, again, I think is a very kind-hearted, well-intended man. I do. I think he is a good person. However, like all of us, he is a person with flaw and with, at times, weakness. He would not be human if that wasn't the case. But I truly believe this, Kevin, to answer your question. I truly, truly believe this. It is my belief, and I will probably go to my grave believing this, that Bill Polian, when he was brought to the Indianapolis Colts, was brought here by mandate of the National Football League, who at the time had concern about Jim Irsay and brought Polian to run the Colts and took away control temporarily from Jim Irsay. And Bill Polian, yes, they, they made a trade to Carolina to get him, but the NFL placed Bill Polian here for football operations, and Jim Irsay was relieved or, or held away from being able to make personnel decisions for a period of time. And... To Jim Irsay's credit, he got things in order. Those are well documented. However, and Bill Polian was obviously very good at what he did and built a dynasty here, especially by previous standards of the franchise. But it's my belief that eventually Bill Polian was so became so synonymous with the franchise that Jim Irsay kind of resented that a little bit and waited for the opportunity. And But Jim Irsay was a smart guy to know that if you're going to Super Bowls, you can't just jettison a guy out. So as soon as, as soon as there was a single flaw in Bill Polian's resume, Jim Irsay got rid of him. And at that time, I think Irsay decided, you know what, like I'm going to take my franchise back. I'm going to be the guy that people know about with the Indianapolis Colts. Rightly so, he's the owner. So he hired Ryan Grigson as a guy that I think Jim Irsay, it was twofold. Number one was, here's a young guy that maybe he's not ready for this opportunity yet, but he has a good resume, and he's a young guy that I'm going to groom, and I will then be credited as the owner that reached out and went outside the box and got a guy and gave him his big break and look look at what a genius I was. And he's a young guy that's going to allow me to, again, have voice and not push back on it because he's grateful for the opportunity I'm giving him. And it had mixed results. But Ryan Grigson was not overly polished by his own admission in terms of dealing with the media, having press conferences, being buttoned down. He just wanted to sit in the lab and build a football roster. 
Chris Ballard is a smooth guy, looks the part, good hair. And so I think that Chris Ballard, to answer your question long-winded, Kevin, what I'm getting at is I think that Ballard represented to Ursay the the cross-pollination of a Bill Polian acumen and a Ryan Grigson enthusiasm about the job as a young guy that was being given the opportunity. And I think that Ursay fell in love with the idea of finally having somebody like Chris Ballard representing his franchise who was a polished, poised, smooth character. Kind of a used car salesman. But the cross, I think that that coming off of Ryan Grigson, Ryan Grigson got the opportunity and was given the leash because of the predecessor and what he was replacing. And I think that Chris Ballard, the exact same thing for the opposite reasons with Ryan Grigson. Jake, I said it last hour. I'll say it again. I don't think the accountability is there from the owner. I think it's a top-down thing. You had seven pro bowlers on this football team last year and didn't make the playoffs. Who answers for that? It's a question I asked Chris Ballard in January at the season-ending press conference. Seven Pro Bowlers, you don't make the playoffs. Is that an indictment on your coaching staff? It seemed like Ursay's just absolute fury with Carson Wentz came and went, and yet the people responsible for bringing Carson Wentz here were absolved of that. Yeah, that's fair. And and that makes no sense. And we were told that Carson Wentz was the majority of problem, and yet... They made that move, didn't make others that everybody in town, everybody in town knew. You know, Chris Ballard can go on the radio shows and he can laugh about you in press conferences and he can roll his eyes at questions and he can be the smartest guy in the room and kind of walk with that swagger. I get that. That's cool. He's a general manager in the NFL. He's earned that right. I get it. He can do all of those things, but... When people are routinely saying to him, what are you going to do about left tackle? What are you going to do about receiver? What are you going to do about pass rush? What are you going to do about kicker? When people are asking those things constantly and he is rolling his eyes saying, well, I don't have to do anything because I'm very confident with what I've built and what I have here. And then those things explode in your face in the most disappointing and embarrassing loss in the last five years of this franchise. And you are completely 1000% exposed in every area that everybody who you deem to be less intelligent as you told you was going to be the issue. Then you're probably going to have to expect that people are going to question about it. Uh, Dave, you say 10 and five from here on out. Yeah, I got three things for you guys real quick. The math thing is for Jay, 10 and 5. They got to go 10 and 5 the rest of the way. It's not going to happen. For 10 you, and 5 Kevin, to win the division? I, I don't – I don't. is somebody winning 10 games in the AFC South? Well, I, I, but I'm just looking at the math, guys. 10 and 5, and you're right. It could go 9 and 7. But here's for you, Kevin. I've got a lock for you for the next 15 games for the Indianapolis Colts on gambling. Take under the total – Receiving yards for Paris Campbell every game. <laughs> now, what about pass interference calls, Dave? Can can we get an over under on pass interference calls? Dave, I feel like I could send Max to the Orchard School <laughs> if I if I did that, right? There you go. And then, lastly, guys, and I'm going to touch on something you brought up, Kevin, real quick. I was going to go with GM and scouts because the talent level it's just not there. It hasn't been there for years. If you had seven pro bowlers last year, like you said, how has this team looked in such disarray? 
that they don't play together. Do they not like each other in the locker room? Do the coaches not know how to get these guys to bond? Seven pro bowlers out of 22 players on the field, and I've never seen a group of guys look so dysfunctional. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, Paris Campbell, Jake, 86% of the snaps played yesterday. The first note he had in the box score was an offensive pass interference in the fourth quarter. Uh, This from Mark, my buddy Mark. I was offered free tickets to the Kansas City game. I turned it down. I don't have anything going on Sunday. I just don't have the interest at this point. Three games in. Apathy is the most dangerous emotion for a fan. Three games in. You know, this is something we can get into moving forward, and we got some calls that we want to get to as well. (laughs) Everybody pointing out the kicker position was flawless yesterday. Yep. I tell you what, the two happiest people yesterday. First off, I thought Grover Stewart actually played well, and Chase Chase McLaughlin's family. (laughs) One kickoff, baby. Chase is kicking again next week. One kickoff for him. That usually means you're scoring a lot of points. Not the case. <laughs> the Colts. What, what? Nathan goes here. Paris Campbell is more of a net positive for the Colts on IR than he was on Sunday. Oh, jeez. <laughs> wow. Jake, the level of what would get Jim Irsay to do something that his father probably would do. I, I, I think that's a fair topic to discuss. We can do that coming up next. But to Dave's point right there, where is the level of Jim Irsay's just saying this is too embarrassing? I think it's got something has to happen inside of that building. It, it, it's one thing for it to happen on the road, and again, it's happened now for four straight games, only one time in your own building. But the embarrassment's got to be there in that building for I think him to do something to the level of making an in-season coaching change. And correct me if I'm wrong, that's something he's never done, right? Jim's never fired a coach in season, right? Got to think about that. I think you're right. The last coach fired in season would have been, um, I got to run through my head. But well, I mean, Jim Irsay as the general manager may have done so. I'm trying to think. But I guess it, since it was, he took over as you know, right, right, full right. owner, you are correct. So we can get into that as well. Calls three one seven two three nine ten seventy. Jeff Saturday going to join us here in the nine o'clock hour. The morning checkdown. Omaha. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Oh Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. By the way, congrats to Ball State Chirp Chirp. Big win over Murray State over the weekend. College football, Indiana, of course, a winner. Purdue was not Notre Dame defeated California. I didn't realize that Notre, that California's quarterback is the former Purdue quarterback. Evan. Yeah, Plummer. He actually looked pretty good, Jack I Jack Plummer. I always thought he was related to Jake. I, he is not. But, like, he's from Arizona. I know. <laughs> I think. Uh, Manti Teo in the building. You see that? I saw that. Got yeah. a bit emotional. He did. Did he? Very yeah. emotional there. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get the crowd on their feet, they did one of those R.I.P. Lene Kakua pictures yeah, okay. to start the fourth quarter. Okay. Was yeah, a- come on, Kev. Big momentum boost for the Come on. Uh, yesterday in the NFL, good news. Only one team was shut out, and it was your Indianapolis Colts. 24-0 losing to Jacksonville. I think you knew that. We've been talking about it most of the morning. Uh, highlights yesterday in the week of the NFL. How about the Jets coming back and defeating the Cleveland Browns? What a game. 31-30. There were a lot of great finishes yesterday. Uh, the Lions over the Commanders, 36-27. Carson Wentz did manage to throw for 337 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, that, by the way, three times the amount of yards total that the Colts wide receivers had yesterday. Uh, Carolina and the Giants. How about the New York Giants and Jets winning on the same day? How often does that happen? The Giants are 2-0, and right? They are. Mm-hmm. Brian Dable there, first-year head coach. Uh, yeah, Dolphins, Ravens, an outstanding game. And tonight we've got two of them. 
Um, is Titans Bills the first game tonight? It is. Yes. Seven fifteen. So that's seven fifteen, and then the eight thirty kick is going to be the Eagles and the Vikings. It's kind mm-hmm. of interesting that ABC and ESPN would intentionally put games up against one another. No, I don't understand the week two double dose. I don't. I don't get it. And I guess next year they're going to do more of that. I would like to see them staggered, a little bit more than that. Yeah. Or should I just be happy that they're going to get? Two TV night if you, if you can manage it. Two TV night at least. You yeah. Split split your time there. Unfortunate about uh, Trey Lance as well. Oh, I hated seeing Brutal. that. Yeah, I, I was talking to my brother-in-law yesterday. I just kind of want to see Trey Lance. I, totally. Like, totally. It, you know, he didn't play his final year at North Dakota State. And I mean, there's obviously an intrigue about him, there. right? Yeah. You know? Uh, but Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers get a win in that one. Major League Baseball, uh, Aaron Judge continues to hit home runs. How about the Reds shutting out the Cardinals? Don't, yep. don't let the Reds get hot. <laughs> That's okay. They're waiting for the uh, right September time. September 19th, don't let them get hot. Okay, yeah. They're going to peak right at the end of the season. And they, like Hannibal sneaking around the Alps on elephants. You know, 262 <laughs> games, they would have a chance. Didn't they expand the playoffs? Yeah, not that. Not enough. <laughs> not enough for the Reds to get in. Uh, Dodgers and Astros, those are the first two that have clinched playoff bursts. Uh-oh, that swoosh indicates there's another sport to talk about. What, what would it be? AP College top uh, AP is it, College Football is this Top from 25. August? What is this one from? <laughs> top five remains the same. Scotty sent me the earlier, if you're just joining the program, where have you been? Um, I was reading the AP Top 25 and got about halfway through it and was like, wait a minute. Notre Dame's still a top five. <laughs> all right, all right. Hell? Notre Dame is eighth? This nothing is clearly like, outdated. You know, nothing like Max being born for like 20 hours and Jake texts me and being like, boy, Marshall, uh, Notre Dame shouldn't have scheduled them. <laughs> It took every ounce of me not to just send back like F. But you were watching it, weren't you? I'm watching it, standing about two feet away from the TV, and the nurse walks in. It's like, is everything okay with Max? I'm like, it's a big third down. (laughs) Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, your top five, followed by Oklahoma, USC, Kentucky at eighth, Oklahoma State ninth, and Arkansas is 10th. Penn State out of the Big Ten coming in at 14th this week in the college football top 25 no votes for indiana despite the fact that they are unbeaten michigan state minnesota and wisconsin receiving votes a lot of people were saying i should have changed max's name to marshall i mean come on is that peyton manning's kid's name i i believe it is uh malpractice abundant yesterday in jacksonville naeem hines playing time would be near the top of that list we'll explain more we come back into phone calls as well 25 minutes before the hour of 9 o'clock. In the 7 o'clock hour, Kevin and I both kind of took the floor for a few minutes to opine on yesterday's game in Jacksonville and kind of where the Colts are and where they go from here. That will be up on uh, the podcast form at 1075thefan.com. You go underneath the shows tab under Kevin and Query. We'll have that up uh, later this morning. But also... Kevin, I just felt it was important to let people – I, you know, I know – I always revert back to what it was like for me when I was a diehard fan of teams and before, you know, afforded, fortunately, the, the opportunity to be able to voice opinions. But I know that fans feel like they want to get their opinion out there, and so we wanted to give people that opportunity this morning. Without question. Um, and, again, as Jake said, that will be on the podcast coming up uh, here after the show. We we took say it again, Mark. We uh, we took some callers last segment. We'll again do that here. Um, I did want to mention this note on Naheem Hines from yesterday, Jake. Uh, Hines played 15 total snaps, 
in the game. He was out snapped. Bless you, by the way. He was out snapped by Desmond Patman by nine. Kylan Granson played 12 more snaps than Naheem Hines. Jake, think back to the first drive yesterday. Hell, the first play of the game. Didn't Hines have a nice catch the first play of the game? Problem is he was the only guy catching the football for a while there, right? I, I, it, I don't get that at all. The only drive you crossed the 50-yard line on in the first three quarters, Naeem Hines had three targets in the opening drive, a 19-yarder to start the game, and yet he gets two targets the rest of the game. Again, outsnapped by Desmond Patman. And Kylan Granson. And by the way, I saw a lot of people asking, like, well, you know, why was Jonathan Taylor? They completely abandoned the run. I get that. But it's hard to run the ball when they can just load the box because you got literally no one as a receiver, right? And you're down multiple scores and have the clock working yeah. against you. You kind of right. have to abandon the run. Well, and again, that should mean more Hines. He's right. kind of your two-minute guy. Yeah. Um, Darius Butler tweeted at me, Hines should have had 12-plus targets yesterday. Far and away the best receiving threat the Colts had on the field. Could not agree more. It's absolute malpractice yesterday in the usage of Naheem Hines. Uh, you said Steve, Mark? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Oh, and he gone. literally just dropped off. He's Sorry, gone. I think we both hit it at the same time. Sorry, Mark. I think that was just you. I didn't touch it. Uh, okay. Let's go with uh, <laughs> let's go with Mike. Mike, you want to talk about Carson? Yeah, yeah. You know, the one angle that I have not heard is last year it was kind of Frank Reich, you know, versus Carson Wentz. Well, Wentz week one played the same defense that the Colts played yesterday. Had three hundred yards and four touchdowns. You know, Mike, the thing that, and I mentioned this earlier, where the Colts and the brass of the Colts got themselves in trouble, so to speak, was, and I do believe, by the way, that Carson Wentz was not just not a good fit here. It did not work out. But the Colts erred, quite frankly, after the season. The reason yesterday was so egregious to me was because at Jacksonville was the line in the sand benchmark by which you were then going to compare this year the improvements that you had made as a franchise. And we were told after that Jacksonville game that anybody that was not all chips in was going to be gone. And Carson Wentz was traded like a month later. Thank you for the airplane sound. Yeah. And and Wentz was jettisoned out, and we were all told that Carson Wentz, that was the main issue. And and people were like, but what about the receiver? Well, you know, Bowen, that's all I hear about, you know, maniacal laughter. What about left tackle? Well, we feel good about it. What about the kicking position? No, we're, we're, we're fine with, you know, hot rod with what we're going to do. You know, what about pass rush? We're going to spend a lot of money on that. Chris Ballard kept preaching that this year they were going to have more depth. But the problem is he went out and got depth at the position everywhere but those in which everybody on the planet was saying they needed to address it. And we were told that we just didn't know enough about football to understand that and that because they had gotten rid of Carson Wentz, everything was going to be better. So you go back to the benchmark line in the sand from a year ago, and it was worse. It was probably worse. Yesterday was probably worse. And... You had no depth at receiver, which completely did you in because you ended up with eight total catches from your receiving core yesterday for 126 yards. Total. Total from your receiving core. Your left hat at one point, Matt Pryor actually sacked Matt Ryan. It was one of the more impressive plays I've seen in NFL history. 
Like he he like was backpedaling so much. Quentin Nelson completely went the wrong direction. Matt Pryor has to guard two guys instead of one, and is backpedaling and gets spun around. And he's actually the one that knocked down Matt Ryan. It was kind of cool. So maybe some third down reps for Pryor <laughs> yeah. on the defensive I mean, side of the ball. It was impressive. So the areas that we were told were all going to be okay after Jacksonville last year, every single one of them blew up in their face yesterday, and that's why people are are extremely PO'd. Chris, what's up? Can I? Can I? Sorry, can I interject r- yes. real fast before I get to Chris? Was that Dave who just called us? So Dave was comparing Carson Wentz to what he did against the Jags versus what Matt Ryan did against the Jags. Look at who Carson Wentz is throwing the ball to: Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson. Curtis Samuel, we talked about it. Support for your quarterback. I said in the opening segment yesterday, or today, what Miami did this offseason in going really kind of all in with the Tyreek Hill all trade is we've got to support Tua. Jacksonville, we'll pay an absurd amount of money to Christian Kirk. We'll pay big money to Evan Ingram because it's a very kind of make or break time for our quarterback situation. The same sense of urgency is not felt here in Indianapolis with the pass catching positions not even close so yeah did Carson Wentz outplay Matt Ryan without question but I also argue that Carson Wentz has a far better pass catching group than Matt Ryan what's up Chris hey what's up guys hey uh, real uh, two quick comments I'm still trying to get over being sick from the, yesterday's game by the way uh one quick comment if uh Colts lost by 24 to Jacksonville. They're going to lose by 60 to Kansas City. I guarantee it. And Jim Irsay needs to stop, uh, quit that horrible band. you got a great band, but a billionaire can't buy singing. I just think he needs to quit the band and focus on the team. (laughs) Well, that hey, Chris, I said earlier, everything, all the criticism that the Colts are going to get today, depending on which one you're talking about, whether it be Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, it's going to come from areas that they put themselves in that position for criticism. And Jim Mersey, I think, is a fun-loving, kind-hearted, good person. I do. But when you are the most publicly subsidized owner in the NFL and you're running around, you know, it's cool that he shares those things with people. Don't get me wrong. And people are going to enjoy it and appreciate it until the primary focus and the primary reason for your wealth goes south. Then all of a sudden people are going to start to question what the motivation is. And that's, that's just human nature, right? I mean, that's just the way it goes. Yes, sir. Yes. And 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 I, I wanted that yesterday. Chris, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, Ursa's kind of welcomed that, Jake, in a way. I mean, he's, he's kind of brought that upon himself. I mean, remember the press conference when he hired Ballard? It's the greatest 21st century GM hire. From day one, he said this about this regime – and yet the expectations and the accountability from him have not been there. Um, you had a poll yesterday. Did, did you want to share the results of that? So yesterday I asked the question, shortly after the game was over, the Colts should, A, remove Frank Reich, B, remove Chris Ballard, C, remove Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, or D, Relax. It's two weeks of 17. Uh, 1,700 votes so far. 42% say remove Reich and Ballard. 28% say relax. 27% say remove Reich. 3% say remove Ballard. 
Now, Matt, I don't know if he voted in the poll, but Matt, you say Chris Ballard's got to go, right? Throw a retweet on that, Jake. I think uh, Chris Ballard is absolutely the reason that we are in the shape we are in. Um, and you go back to what you were talking about earlier with when Polian ran the organization. The Colts under Ursay completely sucked under both Ursays until Polian was brought in because they always go with cheap coaches, cheap you know GMs or hell. I think uh, Ursay was the GM for a while. They go on the cheap as much as possible until they hired a proven NFL GM and a proven NFL coach, and then they were great. And they have sucked ever since because they went cheap on Ballard. They went cheap on Pagano. They went cheap on Gregson. They went cheap on – hell, Reich wasn't even in the top nine of what Ballard wanted. We got stuck with Reich. Um, Matt, what what about Ballard I th- has you saying that he should go? His entire focus from the moment he was hired is it all starts with the line. He has had five years. He has now built the most expensive line in the league, and he has the worst offensive line in the league. The defensive line isn't much better, and it's commanding a huge portion of the salary cap. Um, you watch Green Bay last night, and they bring in an old guy like Cobb. And, you know, T.Y. Hilton should be starting in the slot because he's better than anything we've got. Cole Beasley should be starting in the slot because he's available, and he's better than anything we've got. But he's not back, so that's not woke enough. So Ursay won't go get him. Uh, or he's or Ballard isn't allowed to. Uh, just Ballard is the problem. I, Matt, I don't think that last part is applicable because they have – plenty of key players on their roster that are not vaccinated for what that's worth. I get it. Um, and, and there may be some truth to the fact that Beasley's been outspoken. I mean, you may be right there. But, look, I, I think it comes to – I think a lot of it – and I agree, Matt, I appreciate the call. I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. I, I think a big part of – maybe even subconsciously, Kevin, and I'm not trying to be overly Freudian here, but I really do believe this. When – when you have an owner, and maybe this is just me, maybe it's just me, right? And I know I harp on this all the time. It's it's such a dead horse. It's it's enough glue to hold together a table now. I get it. But when you have an owner who is who shares a lot of his fortune with the city, and that's appreciated, but when you have an owner that people are starting to figure out has become a billionaire, where they be many times over now, largely because of a stadium and a palace that was built for him that 40% of every dollar that's generated through it goes right back to him and he is and everyone knows how much money he has now because it's like hey yesterday I just bought a a print from Jerry Garcia for two and a half million dollars and it's cool that he shares that with people and I get it but that leads people to believe, Kevin, that their dollar is somewhat like – it's like the Green Bay Packers. People feel like they have a stake or a, 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 you know, a share of stock in the franchise because they put so much money into it. And then you turn around and you're this much under the salary cap with all this cap space room and you're not spending money so that guys that are going out that were like former practice squad wide receivers are trying to catch in critical games because two guys are out, one of which is really good and the other of which is a rookie that your owner can't pronounce his name correctly. 
then people are like, why am I spending this money? Why am I invested in this? Why am I financially and emotionally invested in a team that when it goes down there in the benchmark game, two games after the one that we were told it's all going to get better, they just went out there and completely played dead. Yeah, that's your response. Your response to the Raiders game, to the Jacksonville abomination last year, to Houston and getting thoroughly outplayed for three quarters, these have been your responses, and that is scary. Um, To Dave's point, you know, Ballard-related, I always feel like he's had a major hesitancy to making a serious move at quarterback. It's a risk, but if you look at any of the perennial teams right now in the NFL, they all took a chance at quarterback. A big chance. Right. All of them did. And Ballard has not wanted to do that. That, I think, is a problem. And then to his point, and this would be, if I'm Jim Irsay, this would be where I'd bring him into the office and say, Chris, your biggest core belief is O-line and D-line, and that's the product that we're putting out there? We ju- I just paid Quentin Nelson how much money? We draft him six overall, and Jonathan Taylor has four rushing yards on five carries in the first half, and Trevor Lawrence just had the least pressured game of his NFL career? And we have Yannick Ngakwe traded for, DeForest Buckner, 13th overall pick, Quiddy Pay, a first-round pick. I got three second-rounders in the reserve defensive line group, and that's what I'm getting? That would be, to me, we can disagree with roster-building philosophy, and I think there's a ton of truth behind that, but for what Ballard believes in, when that is a glaring issue, that's where if I'm Jim Irsay, we got a major problem here. Well, in our interview with Ballard, he said, he said, I think Jake's question was, what's your biggest concern? He said, I'm obsessed with depth. Did you At feel every like position any, but receiver. Did you feel like there was any depth on that roster yesterday when a couple a of guys went out? Two guys went out at receiver, and literally, it, I mean, two guys went out, two. Yeah. And you have, I mean, was Campbell a first or second rounder? Second. But he was the first pick in that draft, right, for the Colts? Is that right? I think Rocky's seen. I think he had a, a okay. Banigou, maybe. But but either way, you had a high draft pick in Paris Campbell on the field, and I forgot he was there. Like, they drafted Paris, France, and got Paris, Illinois, right? Now, people oftentimes do the Paris Hilton thing with Paris Campbell. The T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've made that mistake before. Uh, we'll continue with the calls. And then I do think of the 9 o'clock hour. Jeff, Jeff Saturday going to join us around 9.30. Um, I don't know if we'll have time to get to it today necessarily, but I do think the question has to be asked of, in Jim Irsay's eyes, how hot is that seat for Frank Reich and or Chris Ballard? Um, I can't believe the sun actually came up this morning. Do that. Uh, it certainly wasn't sunny driving in. Uh, Rainy. I, and it, it wasn't sunny based on yesterday. I thought for sure it wasn't going to come up today, but here we are. Kevin and Corey, 93.5, The Fan. This one for Mr. Gilmore and, and poor, poor Alex Pierce. Uh, I want to address, and this is a fair point from Tyree, which I appreciate on Twitter. Jake, you completely brushed over that caller's question about Ursay's sobriety with a history lesson. It starts at the top, and the indie media needs to start genuinely caring about and holding him accountable with his health. I don't disagree with that, but I think in caring about the health of anybody who has battled addiction, there is a delicate nature to it that can come with that 
a responsibility of not automatically defaulting to thinking that someone who has overcome addiction has fallen back into it, at least on a public platform. I just feel like, yes, that is absolutely the elephant in the room at times with Jim Irsay, but to responsibly discuss the manner of the team is to not automatically associate the demons of Jim Irsay's past with the present. That's not to say that it shouldn't be questioned, but without evidence of knowing for a fact that he is not sober, I think it's a dangerous precedent to automatically go into that arena. I would agree. Uh, Lance was at the game yesterday. Lance, did you jump in the pool at the game? I'm always curious. Is that like a public pool? In well, that no, stadium? I was at – you there? Yeah. Hey, Jake, it's Lance from Broad Ripple, back in the Hartwick uh, – What's up, dude? Days. Yeah, hey, man, uh, you used hey, to – Hey, listen, they could have used you um, yesterday. The D-line and O-line both could have used the way that you used to bounce at Rock Lobster. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, I was actually driving back from Florida yesterday, and I was listening to the Jacksonville uh, guys, Tony Baselli and all the, you know, their crew, and how they were so embarrassed of how Jim Bursay, Frank Reich, and Chris Ballard could even put that that on the field that and that's from the jacksonville end and i think that's the biggest worry for me and thank you lance for the call um i've had a few nights at rock lobster is it still going i think it is the siren i always the siren yeah, always yeah. Got stuck in my head <laughs> yeah you know heck yeah i felt like i was doing a tornado drill um that's the worry for me is again not one game not two games this is a four game trend against bottom feeders in the NFL. You haven't lost on a last-second field goal. You've gotten thoroughly embarrassed for large chunks of the 60-minute games. And this is how you've reacted to adversity. This is how you've reacted to a lot to play for. And I think that is why, again, the temperature for me on the seats should have been hot entering the season, and they need to be scorching hot moving forward. All right, 9 o'clock hour coming up. Kevin and Corey. I don't care who you play, whether it's a high school team, a junior college team, a college team, much less an NFL team. We're dialed in. You know, we're dialed in. We're ready to go. This is a significant battle um, early in the year. It means a lot, and uh, both teams will be ready to play. The Colts had a promising drive working, and they turn it over with an interception. Definitely made me think, and I mean, Bowen, every time I freaking read or listen to Bowen, it's like a constant freaking barrage of of, of uh, wideouts. <laughs> James Robinson with a 37-yard touchdown run. Loud and proud. Ryan stays in the game. He's going to air it out, and that pass is intercepted. We couldn't do diddly offensively and the Colts have fired three interceptions today and they've turned over on downs twice and the misery continues uh, a very poor showing in every way coaching did a horrible job the players did a horrible job we got our ass kicked All chips clock hour underway jeff saturday going to join us coming up just a little bit here uh kevin we have had full phone lines of people that want to talk about the colts yesterday kevin and i both shared our thoughts at about 7 30 this morning that will be up 
um, at 107.5 The Fan in podcast form if you'd like to hear kind of our breakdown, but did feel it was important to let everybody kind of give their vantage point as well. AJ is the next that we will give that platform to. AJ, good morning on a Monday to you. Good good morning, guys. Calling from Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, uh, Did you go to the game, AJ? Listen, uh, my wife and I, we usually get tickets. But I told her, I just don't know about Sunday. So we decided not to go because I had that gut feeling that it was going to be another letdown. It's a good thing I work from home because, I mean, it's, and, and when they beat the Colts, it's like it's their Super Bowl. I mean, it's it's what they look forward to every year. I'm not taking anything from Jacksonville. I still don't think they're that great. I just think that we are that awful right now. Uh, it's, it was embarrassing, man. Uh, no urgency. And I usually, when I watch the game, I usually pick a position group to watch. I watch the secondary. Is it me or does anybody else know, notice that Kenny Moore is just kind of hanging out? It's like, this guy's running away from contact. I'm like, is he saving himself? It's almost like there's no sense of urgency on this team. I was just thinking about when I was in school, you would have a teacher would say, hey, this is going to be 50% of your grade. You guys better show up. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's like the coach are like those students that are like, yeah, we hear you, but, you know. So it, it was just – it was all around embarrassing, man. And I think – I really think it's time for Ursay to have a conversation with, with, with Ballard. I think there's a lot of truth there to AJ's um, call. The Kenny Moore thing, Jake. You remember what Hunter Renfro did to Kenny in that game here at Lucas Oil and last season? Renfro beat Kenny time and time again. Great route runner. And if you look at this four-game sequence, three losses and a tie, I I don't know if there's a player that has performed worse considering the expectation. Considering the pro, I, it seems like ever since the Pro Bowl nod for Kenny Moore last year, he's been exposed out there more often than not. Yesterday, I have no idea what was going on, going on in that Christian Kirk touchdown. Third and four. Kenny usually is on top of that stuff and knowing where the line to gain is, knowing full well where he needs to be on a third down position-wise. Christian Kirk easily gets past the chains and scores in that play. I, I do. Gosh. Isaiah Rogers not seeing the field at all. A lot of people pointed that out. Yeah, not a single snap, right? And neither of the first two games defensively. Yeah, I, I'd like to see him get in the mix. I'll be curious to see if there are personnel changes. And I'll, I said it earlier, Jake, when you, when Kenny Moore takes a public stance, albeit a little bit through his agent, contract-wise, there's a bullseye on your back to perform. Of course. You brought that upon yourself. Every person, Kevin, every per not not every, but I'll put Kenny Moore in this category too. Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard, Kenny Moore, all of them have things to answer to that are their own creation because they put themselves in the position to be scrutinized. Jim Irsay, from the standpoint of, and look, I get it. I mean, it's cool and people enjoy it. But when when you have like a big concert and you're putting on display, you know, the the things that your riches have afforded you and you are allowing your excess to supersede the success that you're supposed to have with your franchise, then you better expect that people are going to be starting to question it. 
Chris Ballard, when you defy every question and you kind of arrogantly, smugly refute every question about your wide receiver core or whatever else, and then you go out in a game like that and, like, literally no one is catching a pass, you better expect it, you know, that he created that scrutiny of himself. That's a loaded question. Jeff, what's up? <laughs> yeah, thanks for taking the call. Uh, I think it starts at the top with Ursay. I mean, clean back to Peyton Manning and the medical decision they made. I mean, they could have still drafted Andrew, and it would have been beneficial for Andrew to learn under Peyton for a couple years. And the money, I mean, the money the city gives, the city county council, those guys ought to be in prison. The deal they gave Ursay, he gets millions and he donates thousands. Well, that's good, he donates, but I'd gladly take millions and donate thousands. And nobody's accountable in the Colts. Nobody. Yeah, I, I think accountability is an issue, Jeff, but I, I don't I don't think Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck would, would, would ever be on the same roster. I don't think that would have made sense whatsoever. Um, I, I did want to mention something in the previous um, caller that we had, AJ. When he talks about the sense of urgency and what he saw yesterday out of the defense to start that game, it was a stat that I tweeted out during the game. Jake, you look at the last three, Jacksonville, Houston, Jacksonville, the sense of urgency in those games. These are the scores of those three games entering the fourth quarter. You're down 23-3 to in last year's season finale. You were down 23-3 to in this year's opener, and then 24 to nothing yesterday. The sense of urgency in those games, of getting off to a decent start, let alone a quick start, has been absolutely non-existent. And that, to me, if I'm Jim Mersey, would be maybe the most worrisome thing in my operation. These are not close games. This is not a, a nice start, and then boom, you get into a flow of game, and it's back and forth. You're getting absolutely manhandled in the first quarter, and that is setting the tone for the rest of the game. Nick. On a Monday morning, you're on. What's up? Hey, guys. How you doing? All right. Hey, Kevin. Congratulations, man, on being a dad again. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. It means a lot. Hey, well, welcome back. I wish you could be on better terms. But, um, you know, it, it, Jake, I'm looking at you, Professor. Now, I know as media people, you want to be fair. You want to give benefit of the doubt. We're not out here just to take a shot every chance we get, despite how the GM may feel. But you want to get Freudian. Let's get Freudian. As you embark in the media week, you know, being a voice of the people, we hope, Jake, I know you are, we got to be careful not to normalize this behavior. You talk about Jim Rousseau and it's starting from the top. We have normalized this for far too long, whether it's injuries, whether it's the quarterback dilemma, whether it's whatever. The bottom line is that all the McDaniel predecessors are gone or, or sorry, understudies are gone. They're successful head coaches. We have two stubborn men that have ran this organization, both of which are stubborn, both of which are not capable of growth, and they have hired less than qualified people underneath them. So, one, they can't be put into question. And a certain head coach who feels that he wasn't given enough due credit for the 2017 Eagles Super Bowl can have all the play calling. Because if we were to fire right today, who can call plays? Nobody. He can because he wants that, he wants that power. And you want to talk about the owner – you, I think the Ursay family, it's a touchy subject. You're right. He has a history. He has a history, but he's not lucid. Whether it's addiction-driven or not, he's not lucid. Look what happened with Al Davis. Look what's going on with Jerry Jones. You think the family wants to step in and go after and say, hey, Grandpa, Dad, take the keys away from the car. That's a touchy subject. 
and they have stakeholders they have to answer to. So I want to ask you guys, what, what, moving into this week, what can we do? I mean, what can you guys do as a media culture not to normalize this? Because I think there's going to be many out there that will start making excuses. What do you guys think about that? Well, first off, I'll say, Nick, and I don't mean this to, to be defiant to your point, um, and maybe I'm, I'm missing. So the the reality is that, that Jim Mersey or his daughters don't have stakeholders to answer to, right? I mean, unless you consider fans stakeholders and you're using that as a euphemism. Yeah, like season ticket members, is that where we're yeah, going with that? I mean, they're Sp- not I mean, a, sponsors are not going to be. They are not a, a publicly shared company. Uh, you know what I mean? Listen, I, I think I think you make good points, Nick. The, the one thing that I'm always hesitant towards, and I appreciate, listen, I appreciate the platform that we have or that I have. And as a younger man, I probably would have seen it as simply my microphone. I think that's boorish. I think that that there's a responsibility that comes with sitting in this seat that is to allow people to also feel that their voice is heard and sharing that microphone with people. But that comes with it, a responsibility of not automatically defaulting to everything is in smolders after two weeks of a 17-week season. But there appears, Kevin, to be a pattern that is certainly disturbing. And again, that's the issue for me, Jake, is the pattern. You know, I don't think either of us over the past year together, you've ever heard, you know, hot take central out of us. Um, I am a massive believer in that everything I say for the 15 hours each week comes from some sort of substance. There is substance behind it. I'm not just going to say bleep to say it. And... That's why I think you've heard the emotion out of me over the last couple of hours because it is embarrassing, it is pathetic, and it's not something we've seen from this organization in quite some time, nor should it be acceptable as a standard. So to Nick's point, I think you continue to point that out. When you have the opportunities to ask the questions in media settings and things like that, you do. And I think we did that with Chris Bowd a few weeks ago, and we'll continue to do that when those opportunities present itself. Um, And then as the show is... You know, evolved today, the first hour, primarily Jake and I, and then I think, again, we owe it to our listening audience to open up the phone lines as we've done and we'll continue to do. Uh, Jeff Saturday, by the way, will join us here in about 15 minutes um, to let everyone speak. Hey, Andrew, what's up? Hey, uh, I just wanted to touch on what you said earlier with Chris Polian, or not Chris Polian, uh, Bill Polian being brought in earlier to run the Colts in the 90s. Um, was that kind of just opinion or is that fairly well documented as far as kind of the NFL's stepping in and bringing him in. Uh, and then my second part of that was I almost brought this up this last week, but I figured I'll give it one more week. You know, the elephant in the room with Peyton Manning being cut by the Colts, what, do you, what does everyone think about, you know, if, if Jim, and I know it's a big financial hit, if he offered him like 20% owner shares to come in and basically run this run the franchise? Because I just don't think – uh, I don't think there's confidence or accountability starting at the top, kind of like what everybody's been saying. Okay, uh, real quick, Andrew, and I appreciate the call. In terms of the part about Pullian, um, that is conjecture. It, it is widely speculated, I think, amongst people who covered the franchise back in that era, but it has never been as proven fact that Bill Pullian was brought in by the league itself for um, some indiscretions involving Jim Mercer at the time, 25 years ago. In terms of Peyton Manning, Kevin, my belief is that if Peyton Manning decided that he wanted to get into NFL ownership, uh, the Colts would not be one of the top three franchises in which he would choose to do so. Um, I would agree with that, and also I would be beyond stunned if Jim Mercer handed Peyton Manning a 20% share of his franchise. Correct. but That is a gargantuan amount. For Manning, 
for someone that doesn't have his last name. For Manning, I think it would come down to um, one of Denver, Tennessee, New Orleans, or Cleveland in no particular order. Yeah, And I just, again, I don't think Peyton necessarily wants that. Right. I, I mean, he would have probably done it by now, right? Yeah. I um, No, and 20%. That is Peyton Manning also, by the way, John Elway – John Elway in the city of Denver is Peyton Manning, Reggie Miller, and Bob Knight combined in terms of the love for him. And John Elway, that has been tarnished a bit now by his, you know, once he got into the executive role of the scrutiny of him and people saying he should be fired and he's incompetent, he's made mistakes. And then that, you know, people, oh, well, John Elway's doing this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. I think Peyton Manning probably has seen, and legacy is very, very, very important to Peyton Manning. No, extremely. Um, perception of Peyton Manning is very, very, very important to Peyton Manning. And so seeing those two things being tarnished or lessened for John Elway as an executive, I think also weighs into Peyton Manning's mind. Honestly, I think the perception is a big reason why him and Eli continue to say no to Colts games in the Manning cast. Yeah. He doesn't want to have to say the things that deep down he probably knows exist. Again, with a hiring of Frank Reich that he had a whole lot of say. And, uh, Mark, I'm afraid. Did Daniel want to talk math? He had some algebra slash Colts related math he wanted to throw at you guys. All right, Daniel. Jake. You got a little math for us? Uh, good morning. Love, love the show. Been listening to the sports talk shows for decades, and your trio is the best, local or national. Thank you. Appreciate that. Wow. Thank you, Daniel. You're welcome. All right, Jake, you'll appreciate this. A little obtuse algebra for you. <laughs> okay. Now, obtuse, isn't that geometry? <laughs> Good point. Well, it's all math related. Most important positions in the NFL. QB, LT, WR, Edge, RT, K, and CB, specifically a WR1 cover. Let's see our pro bowlers last year. RB, Jonathan Taylor. C, Ryan Kelly. LG, Quentin Nelson. ST, long snapper, Luke Rhodes. DT, DeForest Buckner. LB, Darius Leonard. And slot, CB, Kenny Moore. So if these letters are the algebra of success, our GM is very bad at math. <laughs> so, hold on. Daniel, Daniel are you free to tutor, Jake? We in, got midterms coming up in, here. In algebra, actually, what you want to do is you want to get all of the integers on one side. So you're saying that the integers or, or integers or however you say that word, the, the letters on one side are different than where you need production on the other. Is that what we're getting you at here? got it. So please introduce your tutor to our GM. He can use some math lessons. <laughs> so QB, WR, LT, DE would be greater than all those letters that you mentioned? Yeah, so that's great we have those other those players, but it just does not add up to the modern NFL, does it not? Daniel, that was a good laugh. Needed that here on this Monday morning. Perfectly put, man. Well, well said. Um, I mentioned it earlier in that first hour. I don't think the question of how do you build a 2022 NFL roster with the most success for how today's game is played and called, that question Chris Bauer does not challenge himself with enough. And we can get into this debate later in the week, Jake. But the moment Andrew Luck does what he did in late August of 2019, every single offseason has to begin with, all right, let's sit down as a staff, and for X amount of days, let's figure out how or if we should try and make a massive move in acquiring the next future at quarterback. 
And I don't think that is a question that they have entertained to the degree that needs to be entertained in the NFL. I'm still figuring out. I got the midterm tomorrow. You think I can just... Did that overcomplicate you? I'm worried about that. Do you think I can send that in as extra credit? I think Mark can maybe dub your voice over it. Should I tell the professor, like, listen, everybody's told me I'll never need to know this in my entire life, but I just found applicable use for algebra for the masses to hear. Actually, I didn't. Daniel did. But I facilitated for everyone to get an algebraic lesson right here in the airwaves of Indianapolis, Indiana. So I should put that, and and I'm, I'm... I'm falling backward on my grade here. I'm still above 70, but it's it's Educate getting... and entertain, right? I'll pull that collar. We'll write it down word for word. You repeat it, and then we'll send it in. <laughs> Is that plagiarism? Probably. And from what I was told, right, it's kind of open book. It, it is open book, yeah. Okay. But and I'm I know committed. you are a man Kevin. of integrity, so I, I, I don't want to jeopardize that. I am. But. I signed my honesty policy yesterday with well, the university. We've seen how you've handled the pop quiz before. Uh, Jeff Saturday is going to join us here in about five minutes. Speaking of Jeff Saturday, Bill wanted to talk about the offensive line. Good Monday morning to you, Bill. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, first of all, the Colts' preparation to play is a lot like the Iraqi army in 1992. They were nowhere, and they were retreating from the very, very beginning. I never <laughs> Nothing like a, a Gulf War that, reference. Say world geography or world history here. Uh, hey, we're doing algebra. We're doing world history and everything. You know, somebody sign me up. Right. Somebody, enro- somebody enroll me in a class. You know, it's, it's obvious that Frank Reich needs to go. And, and I, what would you guys think about Reggie Wayne being the head coach? Uh, I thought it was an offensive line question. Um, <laughs> no. Right? Why? Wayne is head coach? Why not? <laughs> yeah, I think you need someone that's... A borderline Hall of Fame receiver versus a backup quarterback running your franchise? I think it was a little bit more to a resume than just what that player has done in his NFL career. I think Reggie Wayne has even said, like, yeah, I don't know how long I'm going to do this, but we'll give it a try for a year. I don't know if that's exactly the quote that you want to hear. Someone mentioned this to me earlier. Uh, Peyton Manning's head coaching endorsements have uh, not worked out very well. Who else did he did he endorse? I believe Adam Gase. That's right. He's a big fan of. That's right. And I don't know if it was as public as Adam Gase. I, Adam Gase is the one that sticks out to me. But uh, Mike McCoy? One of Peyton's early OCs, right, in Denver? That's an interesting. I mean, again, I go back to... The one thing about Manning or, or or Reggie Wayne or whoever, great players do not always make great coaches because the things that made them great players is an automatic instinctive nature to do things, and it's very difficult for them to grasp or deal with the fact right. that what's instinct to them is not to everyone. Innate talent, just what they were born with. Correct. I mean, what's Bill Belichick and Sean McVay's football background? By the way, we have to get to the morning check down before Jeff Saturday joins us coming up in just a couple of minutes here. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Speaking of those Ball State Cardinals, winners over the weekend against Murray State, Indiana, and Notre Dame also getting wins. Purdue, however, did not. Yeah. Come on, Mark. There we go. 
Tell me to be quick, and then you, you got to be. You know. I know. Major League Baseball Dodgers and Astros have clinched playoff bursts uh, here in the final what two weeks of the regular season. If you're looking to catch uh, one more Indianapolis Indians game, it's your last week. Final homestand of the year. They got St. Paul in town, and Aaron Judge, Jake, was it two homers yesterday? That's 59. Year for him. Uh, no homers, by the way, for Albert Pujols, but I am looking feverishly here at the scoreboard to see yesterday. Did the Pittsburgh Pirates play yesterday? Do we know? Uh, they did. They lost to the Mets 7-3. I only, I only mentioned it because by popular demand, yes, today is, in fact, I talk like a pirate day. <laughs> That's so, a, uh, as if today couldn't I, get worse. I, I used no. to do it all the time, and you well, guys have been reprieved. Sign of maturity at the age of 50 is very, <laughs> very grateful for us. Uh-huh. Uh, NFL tonight. Do you know a pirate's favorite letter of the alphabet? My... Uh, R, mate. No, it's the C. Okay. <laughs> All right. Tonight, Titans and Bills, Eagles and Vikings, and I think a bottle of wine for Kevin Bowen will also be ah, What about rum? Jeff uh, Saturday joins us next. Another week of paternity leave, maybe? Try to get it in the contract. Walk the plank. Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. You heard him last week, and you will continue to hear him with us every single Monday during the football season. He is the one and only Jeff Saturday. Um, Jeff, you probably know Jim Irsay about as well as anybody that we would have on on a Monday. Um, How do you think the owner reacts to yesterday's performance and really I guess what we've seen dating back to the end of last season Uh, yeah I can tell you I would not want to be uh Frank or Chris probably uh, this Monday morning and in Jim's office so it will not be uh, you know it will not be a kind meeting uh so so you know I'm, I'm sure the frustration that he's feeling um is 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 at a high and and obviously man i mean it's not it's not just the loss but the way you lost um and and you know you heard frank and frank didn't you know he didn't mix words he said it was you know a, a, a poor performance we got out coached we got outplayed you know there's so there's plenty of room to uh for for blame to be taken around so uh got to be frustrated but i i wouldn't want to be in that meeting today for sure jeff to me the thing that, and I want your opinion on this, the thing to me that was the best, the biggest indictment about the Colts' loss yesterday was that it illuminated the areas that everyone but Chris Ballard were pining about that they needed to change heading in, you know, from last year's debacle in Jacksonville, the receiving group, the left tackle, yeah. areas that were not addressed. And, and and those were the glaring areas that, again, cost them the game and the area that we were told needed to be repaired coming off the Jacksonville game it clearly wasn't the issue am I being too critical no I mean I, listen I, I think when you when you look at the way the game played out it was um you know it was exactly those things they they um you know I mean you got you got to go on the defensive side as well but offensively what you're saying and your your top two receivers are out so that's that never helps. Uh, yeah, obviously, when you when you already have a young um, offensive receiving group that you're trying to to get, and you have a brand new quarterback to the team, um, and then from a, from the offensive line perspective, you know they didn't play well, and like you said, got exploited some. 
Uh, I think Ryan, you know, Matt's still trying to figure his way out. Uh, but I can't remember what it was. I think they had seven plays or may- maybe eight plays uh, somewhere around that in the first quarter, right? I mean, which is which is not what you want. You know, you don't want to start slow and then the other team keep the ball from you the entire first quarter. And, um, you know, I, I know time of possession was, was lopsided anyway, but when you start slow that way uh, against a team that you're already struggling from a, from a receiving core, and like you said, the offensive line wasn't playing well, um, it gets ugly in a hurry. And, and, and listen, there was, no, there was no doubt. I mean, I, I will say this. The, the thing that probably surprised me the most is how comfortable Trevor Lawrence was in the pocket. So, you know, it wasn't just, the, you know. The he wasn't moved off the spot. Yeah, bro. He, I mean, he set up camp. You know what I mean? It was just just delivering. So, there were, there were a lot. There's a listen. There's a lot of blame to go around. It was, it was a poor performance all the way around. And uh, they know it. And they got to figure out why it happened and what they can do to correct it. But, but the errors as far as the – the the actual bodies on the field like you, like I said the two wide receivers not playing you know really hurt but but again that that can't be your excuse right there's a lot of teams in the NFL that you know players get injured you got to find ways for your players to step up do you believe Jeff that and it's only two weeks but it's two weeks coming off a trend that was disturbing at the end of last year do you believe that Chris Ballard or Frank Reich either one could have jobs in jeopardy no, not, I mean you mean like 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 right now? No, I don't I don't think that. I mean I you know I, I know um, I forget what Ursay said last year at the end of the year. I, I mean I can't remember, but I know it wasn't good. But uh, no, I, I don't think right now. I mean you're two, you're two weeks in, and um, you know you're o one and one. This isn't like this division is just on fire. Um, you know, so you, you know you're gonna have to go go find ways to win and go find ways to play and. The, the problem, I think, for the Colts' perspective, I'm just giving you big picture, is when from a Jacksonville perspective, it looked like it looked like they're the ascending team right now, right? They played, they got a brand new head coach, they got a young quarterback, they have these things, and they just, you know, uh, Christian Kirk that they brought in and paid a bunch bunch of money to that everybody questioned looked like a like an all pro. So so that's the problem when you're playing in division opponents and they they play that well against you um that that definitely gives you pause. Yeah, it's been a while since you've seen a Jaguars franchise having more hope for the future than I think Colts fans feel right now. Jeff Saturday joining us here on the Payless Liquors hotline. Jeff, in your history, and I guess you know you obviously had a long-time head coach here, but you had different head coaches throughout your NFL career. Do you think the message of a head coach can get stale? over time no no i I, i've never been one of those i mean listen there's i've had we know i had dungy i had mora i had mora than dungy than caldwell caldwell and dungy's messages were very similar um no man i mean listen like from a from an nfl perspective the uh, you know the 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 devil's in the details like you got to go play they got to go play better i mean they've got they got players that that need to play better and again um you know, from from Frank's perspective, they got out coached as well. They, they they have enough going on. It's it's not just the message; it's about execution. And they, even in the Texans game, you, there's just too many. And, and I know Matt, I know, I know Ryan is new to the team, and he's you know, and it takes time for for quarterbacks to find that feeling, especially when your receivers are banged up and not playing. But but 
everybody has to be a step faster. Every, and I don't mean speed. I mean like game speed, like thought process speed, like finding where the ball needs to go in the, in the, in the, in the offensive line, giving them that extra split second. All of those things have to happen. The, the margin for error for this Colts team is just so razor thin um, that when they don't do it right, it's going to show up the way it did yesterday. And, and I guess kind of off that point, if you look at these last four games, um, again, last year, trips to the playoffs on the line, the last two games, two losses. This year you had that long week one drought, eight years. Um, and then yesterday you had the long drought in Jacksonville of seven years. Should that add to maybe the frustration and the embarrassment that fans do have of like, this wasn't just a middle of the road, like week seven game. If you look at, again, Jacksonville, the week one drought, and then the two chances to clinch a playoff berth last year for what was at stake. Should that add to the frustration? Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I I think you'd be lying to yourself if you say it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, listen, from, from the, whether it be Ursay or any fan that, that that is a is a Colts fan, right? I mean, you you know you know what happened with Jacksonville last year into the season. You know how we did against the race. So yeah, you you have expectations. You know that we 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 feel like we're a better team than the Houston Texans, and to go tie them and really have to come back to tie them. Like there, there's a lot of things that you look at and, and frustrates the daylights out of you. Absolutely, yeah, I, I think you lie to yourself if you don't. If you don't look at it and hold yourself accountable, you're doing yourself a disservice. And I think everybody in that building understands that. They they got to look deep at this thing, and um, they they. I mean, the truth is, they got to play better, and that's just that's factual. They can't uh, they can't play the way they did yesterday. And again, the, the margin for error is razor thin, but it's they they have the ability to be better than they played uh, yesterday. Jeff Saturday is our guest on the Payless Liquors guest line. Jeff, I'm trying to think in your time as a Colt here. You know, there were not a lot of real downtimes or sustained periods of it. Um, the one that comes to mind would be the year when Edge got hurt. I think it was Morris last year, and things finished seven and nine. You were a part of that group, right? Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So that so that would be one year where you know, kind of the roof caved in a little bit over the course of a season. So my question for you is, and I know that the the typical answer is going to be, well, you got to block out the noise, you can't read the the papers, you know, that kind of thing, but. Does there come a point for a player where the true opponent is just the psyche of feeling like nothing, no answer can be found and nothing is working? And if that does indeed become an issue, is it possible, even though it's two weeks in, that the Colts could be facing that right now? Uh, you, you you mean from from the from the Jaguars' perspective? Just from no, from a player's standpoint of going into the to the to West Fifty Sixth and feeling like, gosh, oh, oh, oh. you know, no, just no, no, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, I follow you. Yeah, I follow you. No, I mean, listen, I mean, I, I think there are, I think there are, um, I think for, from football teams, I have always been one of those guys who believes that that organizations are run through players. And you, you know, you can have, you know, you have good coaches, and, and I, I never disrespect that position. Head coaches is vital. I don't, I don't mean it to, to sound slighted, but at the end of the day, that the eleven that are walking on the in between those white lines on both sides have to take ownership of this thing. And 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 at some point, um, again, those players have to be the guys that that don't allow things to happen. They don't allow, you know, practices not to look as good as they should. They don't allow games like this. And, and, and listen, that sounds like like coach speak or talk, but I'm from a guy who did it 14 years. I'm telling you, 
that's the difference in teams. When 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 players take things and and say, "Look, man, this ain't gonna happen. Like this is what we're gonna do. Hey, we're gonna meet here. We're gonna do this. This is the time we're gonna spend on this." Like all those things that you do as a player ends up paying dividends on Sundays, Mondays, right? Like that's that's the reality of it. And I, and and so it's gonna have to be from within. Like these players are gonna have to get into 56th Street today and and this week and understand. Look. Now we got a gauntlet. I mean, you know, we have two games that we probably feel like we're a better team than. Now we got the Chiefs, the Titans. I don't even know who the other one is, but whatever it is, I know that I know that they got a three-game, you know, run that's going to be tough. This thing could get ugly in a hurry. You you better understand who you're playing, and, and you better go in with that mindset that that uh, everybody's job's on the line. I, I can assure you of this, and I've I've said this a lot of times. When coaches get fired, players get fired. So make no mistake. You, you know, no one, no one is absolved of, of poor, of poor play. And, and again, I don't think it's there yet, but, but, but people better understand that's reality in the NFL. Yeah. Chiefs, Titans, and then a short week at Denver. Those are the next three. You can pr- probably yeah. make the argument one of the toughest three game stretches of the season. Um, Jeff, last one from me, the Colts continue. It's not a, it's not like a 50, 50 split, but they continue to rotate Matt Pryor and Bernard Ryman at left tackle. Pryor continues to get more of the run there. Um, I I can't recall many times NFL teams have done that at left tackle. Is that surprising to you, Jeff? What do you, what do you make of that? No, honestly, we, we did that a little bit with, uh, with Howard, uh, with Charlie Johnson and, and, um, and even when Tark was here and Ryan and, and Deemer were out there, like it, it wouldn't be like, uh, you know, you would try to get him in to get him some game reps. And that's just because of where he was, you know, I'm sure where he's drafted, trying to get a young player. It's, it's hard to develop guys, especially um, without getting them true game reps. And so just having – and it looks to me like, and like to, to you as well, it sounds like that they have scheduled times in the game where they're going to put them in. And it doesn't matter what's happening in the game. It's just, hey, go get reps and let's – you know, whether it's one series or two series a game. Uh, but, but I think that's good. And I've seen them play some tight end uh, – or, or not literally tight end, but, you know, where they, where they bring in an extra tackle at that position to help block. And, look, he's, he's looked pretty decent. I mean, yesterday was awful for everybody, but um, – what I've what I've watched of him so far in in preseason, the kids are he's a he is a very good athlete. I will say this: he he does he does things with his with his uh, with his athleticism that are, that are pretty amazing. Um, and I think they're just trying to get him cuts and see. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's maybe to try to press prior or just trying to get some stability across there because they are thin. Uh, but but we'll see as as it progresses on. Jeff, I wanted to ask you this because it does have implications within the AFC South. You know, I remember when Peyton Manning obviously took his lumps as a rookie, and then all of a sudden everything just kind of came together for him, and you could see it. I mean, you could see where the promise was, and you're like, here we go. Did we see – are we seeing that step for Trevor Lawrence, or was that simply yesterday the result of a defense that got zero pressure on a guy, and literally I would have thrown for 200 yards against that defense yesterday? (laughs) Well, I, th- I think it's a little of both, but the, but the no pressure definitely contributed a significant amount. I mean, listen, y'all, like, like, like I, I, I'm not mixing that lightly. When I tell you, uh, it was it, it was as clean a pocket as I have seen uh, for the majority of the game, just standing in there and delivering. In, you know, most most NFL quarterbacks, especially with the talent of him, are going to look like that. So, uh, but that being said, I think Peterson is is 
uh, as good as anybody at developing and, and helping train quarterbacks to be their best. And so I, I think that's making a huge impact on his career. And to your point, um, yes, Colts fans, we, we don't want that to happen. But it, it definitely looked like he felt more comfortable yesterday and he is progressing in that offense. Uh, and, 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 again, it's kind of that – I'm, I'm not comparing him to Andy Reid, but it's kind of that tree and that, that thought process, right, is, is he understands how to get the ball out of the hand on time. You know, the, the progressions and the reads are solid. And I think it's going to help Trevor Lawrence tremendously. Jeff, as always, we love your insight, and uh, we'll see what happens. Home opener coming yeah. up Sunday, Kansas City Chiefs inside of Lucas Oil <laughs> tough, Stadium. Tough, tough day to do it today, fellas. I ain't going to lie to you. This wasn't, this wasn't one of my happiest phone calls <laughs> on a Monday. <laughs> hey, I appreciate you not running from us. Nah, no way, bro. No way. Y'all have a great day, fellas. Thank you, Jeff. That's Jeff Saturday right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. To the Trevor Lawrence point, Jake, and I'm just looking at this kind of off the top of my head, or I'm, I'm looking at his game log, but he's played 19 games in his NFL career. He's had two games in his career with better than a 96 passer rating. Those both came against the Colts, 121 yesterday, 111 in the season finale last year. He's had two games in his entire career of multiple touchdowns and no interceptions. One of those being yesterday, the other one being the season finale against the Colts last year. And again, he's had two games in his entire career of over 71% passing. He's a career 60% passer, over 71% passing, one being yesterday, one being the season finale. Looked pretty good yesterday, didn't he? You think he's going to like seeing the Colts here in a few weeks? He looked like Tua yesterday. Gosh, I just, how do you let, I mean, if you look at Lawrence's resume so far, 54%, 57%, 42%, 59%, 51% in week one, and yet he comes out and he's 71 or 83% yesterday. I think that, I mean, not just that left anyone, shaking my head. Not that anyone was taking the Jaguars lightly, but after that performance and that what that defense was doing, like there's no gimmies anymore when the Jacksonville Jaguars are on the schedule. I feel like they're coming and they could be AFC South contenders for years to come. Like when is the last time the Jags fan base has sat there on a Monday after a game feeling better about the future of their franchise than the Colts? <laughs> it's been a while. Hey, is that wrong to say? No. I mean, look at the dumpster fire that last season was with Urban Meyer. Like, oh, same old Jags. They look like they're in the right. They're moving in the right direction. The Colts are going the exact opposite way. Is Urban Meyer going to coach again? By the way, did mm. Nebraska already contact him? I saw some dude wearing a hire Urban Meyer. The, the Nebraska fans were chanting it, weren't they? We want Urban. You think he'd want that? Careful what you wish for. I mean, it's a rich program, but rich history. But yeah, they got blown out by Oklahoma, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, blown thought- out. I thought your Tigers, that was kind of an interesting first half for them, right? Louisiana yeah, little, Tech was little lurking. Sluggish, little sluggish. But boy, Dabo looked fast. That was Usain Bolt-like coming down the hill. They're a little sluggish, but they got things. Big one this weekend, Wake Forest. We'll see. Notre Dame at North Carolina. It's kind of a Some heavy hitters for your guys' programs. Pick them game. Well, I mean, we can't all play Marshall. Kevin and Corey, one, <laughs> one final time here. Welcome back, Kevin.
The sun has risen on this Monday morning. It was a rainy night in Indianapolis. Did you you hear any of that? Lightning slash Max were waking me up. Really? No. Slept right through it, buddy. All three hours of sleep I got last night were mm-hmm. sound as can be. I'm still in shock about yesterday. <laughs> I think we all are. What what were your guys' score predictions? I think I said 27-24 or 27-23. 27-17, I think is what I, I, I said. 24-23. Yeah, you you were you were the one that were like, wow, he's got him barely squeaking by. The Jonathan Ooh. Taylor production. Like your offensive line could not move Jacksonville at all. At all. We talked about the Naeem Hines usage, and I think just way too much is on Matt Ryan's plate right now. Outside of, like, Jonathan Taylor's one run where he completely trucked the one secondary yeah, member that of the Jaguars, awesome. like, everything else is just, like, plodding along, just falling a couple yards after getting the ball. It's like, man, you know, this I almost is not just good. throw away that second half Taylor stuff. I yeah. mean, at that point, Jacksonville's playing super prevent. Like, you need to get more, in more involved more. I'm like, how? You're down multiple scores. The clock is yeah. working against you. That, that's the problem with having your best player on offense being your running back. Is when, when you get down multiple scores, yeah. there's no way to really involve him in the offense at that point. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, Mark, let's end with one more caller. We'll, uh, we'll let you. Oh, boy. Dealer's pick. choice is a lot of pressure here. Let's mm-hmm. go with Dennis. Dennis, good morning. Uh, good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for calling. I got a, uh, two points I want to bring up. If uh, Frank Wright don't get fired, and should Ballard bench him from play calling? I know uh, Andy Reid had to give up that duty. Um, I just feel that he just can't uh, – he's, he, he's just not getting it. You know what I mean? It's like he had a first-half plan to throw the ball, and he comes out and he wants to run Jonathan Taylor the second half. It's just like they can never get in sync. You know, I think Ballard has put the players there for him to, to be a good team. I think it's just his coaching and his play calling that's putting them in a bind. I you think know, that, just, Dennis, I appreciate it. Kevin, that kind of jives with what you were saying earlier. You thought that maybe at times Reich has too much on his plate, right? Well, yeah. I, I would also say to Dennis, though, like if Frank Reich is not going to call plays, then why is he your head coach? I worry about the head coach duties more than I worry about his play calling duties. Um, and, and I would also put some of the blame on Ballard. I don't think that just Ballard has given this incredibly stock cupboard at the important positions and said, don't screw it up. I don't think the cupboard is as stocked as it needs to be. And at times, I don't think Reich has challenged Ballard enough in that sentiment. I think Mike, Reich is a big guy, big believer in like, hey, give me whatever and we'll, and we'll figure it out. I, I, I think they've struggled with that a little bit. Uh, by the way, final note this morning, I want to say congratulations to uh, Bill Cohen. I grew up with his daughter, Michelle. Today is his last day after 50 years of court trials in Indiana. Nice. He's retiring after 50 years. Congratulations to him. Hell of a run. Uh, the podcast is juicy. Check it out. Mark will have that up. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow and see how hot the seats are for Chris Bauer and Frank Wright.